Thanks for tuning in, everybody. If you're new to the show, I'd like to say welcome. If you're a returning listener, I'd like to say welcome back. Before we get started, I'd just like to ask you a favor. If you're currently streaming this episode, would you mind stopping it and downloading the episode and then listening to it? It's a good way for me to keep track of the downloads. And to be honest with you, the more downloads I get, the more I get paid. I would really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind doing that and maybe do it for all the content creators that you enjoy listening to. It's a great way for us to keep track of the downloads and put a little extra money in our pocket. So if I could ask you for one favor, that would be it. Now on to the show. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The pop drop, the pop drop. Just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm-hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Joe Lazito. And welcome to episode 123, the conclusion of my off-the-island chat with Trevor Steinberg. But first, if you're on social media, the links to this podcast's Twitter Facebook, and Instagram will be in the show notes. If you feel like connecting, let's connect. I know uh, most of the listeners, I believe we are already connected. But if you're a new listener, definitely reach out. I cannot connect with you if I do not know you're out there. So um, click the link, connect with me, and uh, say hello. There will also be a link there to a book called Islanders A to Z. That book was written by Joe Buono and illustrated by Joe Marisich. And Joe Marisich, as regular listeners know, is the local Long Island artist who designed and drew. Drew, yeah, I guess so, right? Yeah, it's not drawn, it's Drew. Uh, designed and created the logo for this very podcast. So, guys, girls, you people out there, go click that link, especially if you're an Islanders fan. And, and you don't need to have children to enjoy this book. The illustrations are phenomenal. Uh, definitely grab a copy of this book. I have one in my collection, and uh, my youngest child is going to turn 20 in a few weeks. So uh, so definitely check that out. And if you're interested in hiring Joe Marisich for your art projects, hit him up on Twitter at GraphicsJoker or via the internet, loudegg.com. 
As I said, I am a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Each NHL team has at least one podcast dedicated to it. Um, like I said in the previous episode, I thought I was on the original content side. Right now, I am grouped with the other Islanders podcasts, and I believe that there are three of them uh, dedicated to the um, everyday happenings, comings and goings of the Islanders. I guess uh, you'd call it the current state of the Islanders. Um, but no matter what team you're a fan of, definitely, uh, check out the network and, um, there'll be a show there that, uh, well, if you have a favorite team, you may not have a favorite team, then you may want to stick to the original content side. And on that original content side are members of the four horsemen of the hockey podcast network, myself, Darren from the fourth line voice. Darren released an episode today. I am recording this on Thursday because tomorrow uh, the missus and I are headed up to Buffalo and uh, Niagara Falls, Ontario for a nice long weekend getaway. So I uh, I couldn't record this on Sunday like I usually do. So when you are listening to this, I will probably be enjoying some poutine uh, in Niagara Falls uh, maybe munching on some all dressed and washing it all down with a moose head. So, uh, so you should hear this on Sunday. And if you're listening to it on Monday, well, I'm already back at work. So, uh, so yeah. So anything that happens between Thursday and Sunday will not be in this intro. So, um, so yeah. So anyway, today, uh, well, last night Darren released his latest episode. I listened to it today. Uh, again, it was a, a Sunday shit show type episode, but this episode had rapid fire with, uh, my pal Dante. Uh, Dante is a repeat guest on the fourth line voice. Uh, really good guy, Rangers fan in Flyers country. Um, and, uh, he does the rapid fire, uh, questions with Darren. Honestly, I don't know if Dante was the best, if he wasn't the best, uh, rapid fire guest, he's the best one or two. He was absolutely fantastic. So uh, definitely give that a listen. Also, another list. I sent Darren a list. The top five Ranger enforcers of all time. Now, um, hockey news this week. It's enforcer week at the hockey news. And the thing that makes me laugh more than anything is uh, Adam Proto is writing some of the articles. And uh, I guess he's the sole survivor as far as like the big four, the big three, big four at the hockey news uh, that hates fighting and that whines about it. And that is just, oh, God. So he I don't think he did any of the um, top fives. It seems like the uh, the hockey news did a top five enforcer list for every team. Uh, then they did other things, um, movie reviews. I think that's what Proto was doing. And he, I know he did like um, a review of Youngblood. Not necessarily a review. Obviously, the movie's been out for decades. Uh, sort of like a remembrance of it. And he also did one for Les Chiefs, which makes me laugh because I can picture him watching that documentary just screaming at the TV. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, it, it's just unbelievable. But um, so... I didn't realize that the hockey news was doing every team. I didn't realize it was enforcer week when I saw the, uh, the link to the top five Ranger enforcers. And um, yeah, um, uh, let's put it, I'll put it to you this way. Um, there's one, and this is again, all this stuff boils down to opinion. 
There's one guy in the top five that would definitely be in my top five. There's another guy in the top five that if he's not in my top five, he'd probably be six or seven. And then the rest of the group is either not listed or in the honorable mentions. So it's definitely an interesting list. Um, so I sent that to Darren and um, yeah, oh, God, it, it's just, I, I want to give the hockey news an A for effort, but they shit on enforcing and they shit on fighting so much. It's almost like, what are you doing? And um, I guess if you want to take a look at the Seattle Kraken top five all-time enforcers. Now I know what you're thinking. Um, they can't possibly have five and they don't. Uh, but during Enforcer Week, I, sc- I scrolled through a lot of these teams today. So during Enforcer Week, the writer that did the was uh, tasked with the Kraken top five basically didn't even talk about the Kraken. Uh, oh, I did. He said how they've been so effective without needing someone to fight. And then he went on to talk about a couple of players who um, – Never liked the role, regretted the role, talks about the injuries from the role. So uh, so that's more of what I expect from the hockey news nowadays. So um, so if you want to read something that absolutely, um, I don't know, All right, let's call it asinine for Enforcer Week, check out the Seattle Kraken uh, top five enforcer list, which isn't a list at all. So uh, anyway... Um, yeah, so that's what they're doing this week, and um, and I had sent Darren the Ranger list, so he went over that list, but uh, he did that, and the rapid fire with Dante, which was excellent. Um, also, another horseman, Five for Fighting podcast with Alec. Um, he is uh, currently, uh, from what Darren says, he's been a little under the weather, so uh, maybe that is why he hasn't put anything out recently, but he's still active on social media, so, um, so he's still still tweeting and, and uh, I, I imagine Facebooking. I don't really do too much scrolling on Facebook, um, but hopefully he's feeling better. Uh, that That's really where I was going with this. Hopefully his, his activity on social media means he's feeling better. And if he's feeling better, then hopefully he will release an episode shortly. And finally, the fourth and well, I was going to say the youngest one, but I think he might be older than Alec. Uh, Jordan, from the Maritimes, five in a game. Uh, Jordan is on hiatus right now as he's out west working. Uh, when he returns east, we'll get more regular episodes from him. So uh, I know I got off on a little bit of a tangent there. Fourth Line Voice podcast, Five for Fighting podcast, and Five in a Game podcast. Check out all of the back catalogs. And please also check out the corresponding YouTube channels for each of those shows. Um Another guy on the network that needs really no introduction, Uh, my pal Terry Ryan. He has a show called Tales with TR, amongst other things, Uh, star of Shorzy. He's got so much stuff going on. I'm so happy for him. Uh, I believe his latest guest was, uh, I I mentioned this the last time, Darcy Harris, and he's put out a few solo episodes, I believe, since then. I believe he is currently in St. John, New Brunswick, uh, for roller hockey tournament. So I think that is uh, that is the priority right now. I'm sure he'll have a guest on soon. But, I mean, you know Terry Ryan. I, I, he doesn't need me to pump his tires, but I will anyway. So check out Tales with TR as well. Now, 
I collect game-used hockey items. Jerseys, sticks, buckets, gloves, enforcers, all that good stuff. Mostly Islanders and Nordiques, organizational enforcers, but I'm a fan of 99.9% of them. So if you have something that you're thinking about parting with, please let me know. Like I said last episode, my guest Trevor Steinberg, I don't own a single Trevor Steinberg game-used or game-worn item, and I would love to add something to the collection. So if you have anything of Trevor Steinberg's that you're thinking about parting with, please reach out to me, and uh, maybe we can make a deal. So sticking, (laughs) sorry, I tripped over my words there. Sticking with the Trevor Steinberg theme, this is part two of my chat with Trevor Steinberg. Now, uh, if you listen to part one, you know that this is from the um, Now Dead and Buried Nordiques Knuckles podcast. And uh, so if you listen to that, the three episodes there, you don't really need to listen to the episodes here. But I will say this. um, I listen to all my episodes again just to make sure they're uploaded right and uh, that there's no problems with it. And um, I just finished listening to the part one today and um i i knew trevor was a great guest but i had i had a lot of fun listening again to part one and i will definitely listen to this one probably on my way home from niagara falls on sunday so um but yeah so check it out and um trevor of course super guy legendary university coach in canada um former nordique former citadel former fredericton express player uh the guy's got stories for days and um and if you don't know who trevor is if you're if you're a bit on the young side um definitely take a listen because uh he's got some amazing stories so uh as always i want to thank trevor for coming on uh finally uh i want to say one last thing i i've discussed this over the, over the years where people have said, um, why do you do a podcast and, um, why enforcers and why, why this, why, you know, whatever, a bunch of questions. And, um, to me, and I know that Darren feels the same way and Alec and Jordan, um, we respect the role, uh, very much. We, we definitely respect the role. And we also feel that, uh, these guys' stories deserve to be heard and they deserve to be out there forever. And it doesn't have to be a guy who played a thousand games in the NHL. Could be someone who never played any NHL games. Could be someone that played a handful of NHL games. But it doesn't really matter. The role in and of itself is the most selfless role in all of sports. It's the most difficult role in all of sports. And um, I've been very fortunate to bring you some really great interviews. And um, again, because of the guests, not me the guys have been very generous with their time. And the good thing is that I know long after I'm gone, long after they're gone, uh, if someone Googles their name, they'll be able to listen to the episode. Um, if you listen to my episode recently with Dean DeFazio, we spoke about a player named Lever street. And, um, Lee is one of those guys that I've mentioned a few times where, um, I never met him, but he was always on, every single one of those AHL fight tapes that I had. Um, Obviously, if it was one of his teams, he was on it quite a bit. But even if it wasn't, uh, he was guaranteed to be on it two or three times. Didn't even matter the team. And um, Lee was a really tough player, and uh, he passed away this week. And um, 
it's it's unfortunate. Um, I know he wasn't doing well. Um, Dean and I we spoke a little off the air, and I when I found out how close they were, I had said, "Hey, maybe you could put in a good word. I'd love to interview him." And he basically told me he wasn't doing great. Now, to what extent? You know, hey, listen, I it's none of my business. Uh, you know, I didn't realize it that it was this grim to where he he passed away this week. Um, but it it's unfortunate. And, you know, it, it really just, it, it just hammers home the fact that I'm not saying what I do or Darren or Alec or Jordan is important in the grand scheme of things. What's important, you know, taking care of your family and, um, you know, just surviving nowadays. Um, so I would never say what I do is important, but I would say that I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that the four of us, we have, we put out interviews with guys who maybe uh, are a bit off the beaten path guys that aren't household names to a lot of hockey fans. And I think to fans of, um, you know, rough hockey during the eighties, I think a lot of us know who Lever straight was, but I think the younger fans nowadays probably don't know. And, the unfortunate part is that uh, I never met Lee. I never got a chance to speak to him. And um, I, unfortunately, now I'll never get a chance to interview him. And um, so if you're someone who's tuning in for the first time or, or you've stumbled across this show and you said, why does he interview these guys? I don't know who this guy is. I don't know who that guy is. Well, you know what? These guys deserve just as much respect, if not more, than the players that you've heard of. They do the most nerve-wracking job in sports. Uh, they do the most dangerous job in sports. And as I've said, the most selfless job in sports. Their job is to protect other players to make those players successful. And um, unfortunately, I don't know if Lever Strait ever did a, a full-length interview about his career, um, which is sad because it's something I definitely would have liked to listen to. So... Um, if you want to know why I do what I do and why the other three horsemen do what they do, it's because we want these stories out there. So, um, you know, to, to Dean, I don't know if, if you're listening to this episode, but uh, you know, we've already, uh, texted back and forth a bit, uh, condolences. I know you lost a great friend and, um, just to, to, you know, I, I don't think the verse straight family listens to the show, but if anyone listens to the show that, that is uh, a fan of Lee or, or friends with Lee or whatever, someone that maybe came across him once, um, condolences. I, I unfortunately never had the pleasure. So, um, you know, I guess the only thing left to say is, uh, the day that Lee passed away, heaven got a little bit tougher and probably gained a whole lot of great stories. And um, with that, I'll say uh, rest in peace to Lever Street. And we continue on with my chat with another great storyteller, Trevor Steinberg. Now we go into next training camp. Now, was this? I think this was the training camp that um, Kimby came to live with you. I think you were living in Kingston in the off season. I think this was that camp. You were in Kimby uh, in Kingston, and you uh, trained for a little bit at a boxing gym. Uh, is I believe that uh, I have the timeline right. And uh, what was that like? You taking a, a guy who's already a pretty good puncher, and now you're teaching him even more skills uh, at a boxing gym. Do you remember training with him at that gym? Oh God, yeah. I mean, 
yeah, he, uh, yeah, we we worked hard that summer. In fact, I I, I kind of joke with Kimby. The better shape Kimby got in and more lean, mm-hmm. he didn't feel as comfortable on fighting. <laughs> yeah, he actually said that. Uh, but yeah, we took that, and you know, we trained every day, we did everything, and he really worked hard. And I can remember we, and then I think like three times a week we went to this, and there was like a welterweight. 140 and last is welterweight i guess and and kimby and i wanted in the ring real bad i didn't want him with kimby but i wanted him with this little welterweight guy right yeah and uh even though he's a good guy but so he had put the headgear on or i put the headgear on so did he so we got in there like fuck did i get embarrassed like he (laughs) he was he he was uh, i look i look up and he was gone he was behind me and i turn around and then he'd be like there's nothing you could do. If I threw this, he threw it, completely reacted to it. And Kimby was crying and laughing, like, with these guys. Like, there were about four guys in the gym, and they were crying and laughing. And I basically, the gym, the head guy for the gym said to this guy, look, um, just go for the headgear. Just go for the headgear. Like, basically, just get Trevor through the round here and, you know, da-da-da, conditioning went. Well, that pissed me off, so... I kind of like, fuck you. And I pushed him into the fucking thing and I tried to just go at him and it just made it worse. But Kimby was crying, laughing and like trying not to say anything, but he was crying so bad yeah. for me getting beat up. And then he went in and he absolutely got his ass kicked too. So yeah. I have a whole respect for the professional boxing. It, yeah, it was unreal. But what, what training, the endurance and so forth. And, you know, I'm sure it helped Kimby. I'm not sure how much it helped me other than conditioning, but <laughs> Um, it was a good summer for sure, but yeah, it was, Kimby had a good balance in life. <laughs> <laughs> there, I mean, I think, I think people, if they don't know it, they should. There are very few places on the planet more humbling than walking into a boxing gym. Uh, you can think you're the toughest guy out there and boy, that'll humble you in a second because the, the, there are no no people training at a boxing gym that aren't tough and you could take let's just say the weakest link in that chain is tougher than you are and it'll right. humble can you, you in can a you, second can i tell you something right now the same guy that beat kimby and me mm-hmm. okay was walking down the street in the afternoon walking down princess street in the afternoon um i'll set the stage he had pink shoes on but back then a lot of guys yeah. wore pink shoes and stuff mm-hmm. And he was walking down, right down the main street of Kingston. And there's a plate, there's a, there's a strip bar in Kingston, you know, the, the afternoon hour matinee. And anyways, two guys came out, bumped into him, mm-hmm. this young for, welterweight boxer. And they stumbled in and then they got mouthy. Well, the one guy took us, literally took a swing at this guy, like pushed him and pushed him and, and this guy, um, I forget his name, the, the, the welterweight guy, mm-hmm. didn't even flinch once he pushed him enough times. He just, the fastest thing I've ever seen is him jab. I don't remember which hand he did it with. Bang, the guy spit his tooth out. It was, it was the fastest thing I'd ever seen, dealt with it, and went away. So after that, after, um, you know, training with Kimby, you go to camp. And again, like I, I keep saying it, you're a modest guy. You played the whole year in Quebec, and now you find yourself getting sent down. Um, did you did you have any sense of that in training camp that 
that it, you might not make the team? Or was the team getting better with some of these young players? Do you know why you, you got sent down after playing well, that whole yeah, season? Yeah, actually, I, this is this is the part that was kind of a little bit upsetting. Was I, When I got there, I was having problems with my knee again, mm-hmm. on my left knee. So when I got to camp, they weren't really comfortable putting me on the ice. They said, you know, you're just not strong enough, my left leg. And so this is where it got a little pissy is I went down to the minors to rehab it. Mm-hmm. Well, I played the whole season up. Um, they didn't deal with the knee all summer, and I got to camp. They sent me down. So I just went from 100,000 to 25, whatever it was. And I played 11 games. Mm-hmm. Um and they realized at that point that it just was swelling up and so forth. So that's probably what pissed me off the most was I then continued to get $25,000 or whatever my salary was, and I had to have more surgery. So, And then basically they cut me loose after that, you know, and rightfully so. They, they, they said, you know, Robbie Fatorik said basically you're, you're damaged goods, you know what I mean? And when I say that, Robbie Fatorik was – actually trying to get me to sign a contract again mm-hmm. to play my termination year out, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't. And I just, I was frustrated at that point and, mm-hmm. you know, for, for good reason, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it was, wasn't like I was deserving necessarily to be out, but I didn't like the fact that I think they kind of buried that whole thing as if it happened in camp. And it, it really was from the last year. And even if it was at camp, <clears throat> I was still, technically was still up on the roster, I guess. So, you know, to get 25 grand for what was the start of your career going really downhill was a bit hard to take. Um, I guess one of the things that could make a situation like that a little more tenable and, and obviously like you talk about the money and, and all that stuff, because, Hey, listen, like you said, you're not making a ton of money, even in the, you know, hundred grand, let's say was nice at that time uh, show money. But now you're cutting your salary by by seventy five percent going down. So obviously financial considerations aside, you played with some pretty good guys down there in uh, in Halifax, uh, and maybe that made it a little bit easier. Um, I hope so. Anyway, uh, you had a, a great group of guys down there. So there's a couple of players again <coughs> I want to ask you about. But before I do, I want to tell you that I have. Uh, a couple of guys I asked from this team uh, asked about you. One of the guys was Brent Severin, who, if people don't know, uh, Brent Severin is one of the most uh, physically fit athletes that you'll ever come across uh, and works very hard at it. Uh, so Sevy was the other guy who uh, who commented about your legs. and uh, But he did give you credit. He did use your quote. He said, Steiny had the skinniest legs in the NHL at one point. His saying used to be, you don't see the muscles in a deer's leg until it starts to run, which I think is great. So um, you, ha- you have to be funny when you got legs like that. You have to have <laughs> something good to come back with. Yeah. He said, now that you're, you've been retired for so long, he can't imagine how, ti- how tiny those chicken legs are. Um, he did say he loved your tenacity and really respected your hard work. You were a great teammate. You were hilarious and an overall great guy. So, uh, so what do you remember about playing with Seve? I live with Savvy and I use him as an example. He came from the University of Alberta. I ended up coaching in the CIS. Um, here's a guy that came from University of Alberta. You don't go from university right now, 
Canadian University to have the career he did. Every single day, well, you just said it. He was huge. He was a bodybuilder, yeah. basically. And he was huge, and he worked on his skating every day. He worked on everything every day. That's all he did. His whole, it was all mind and body with him. Um, he was tough, but he would go, you know, he was learning to fight. He was learning to do all that. And one of the neatest things I think I saw was when he was the captain of Utica and he had 20 goals, I think that year. And he was a heavyweight in the league. And I, I don't know. I was just kind of proud of him. You know, I, 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 I've always used him as an example of, you know, guys. Oh, I don't know about this. We'll just say, you know, don't quit if you want, but don't start questioning what you can and can't do because a guy like Seve was just, unbelievably hard worker like he he worked on the iron cross and his small area skating and edge work every single day even game days and yeah he was he was certainly a guy that everybody respected and he made it and he ended up you know when i say tough wise he ended up being a very very tough guy and he's the master of the fake dump around which he said he learned from robbie fatoric the fake dump around when he would he uh, fake like he's dumping it in, uh, you know, dumping just shooting it in the zone, but he would shoot it uh, at the net. He scored a few. I don't think he really mastered it until Utica, but uh, that is something he said he learned from Robbie Fatoric, where guys would just think he's shooting it around the boards, but he'd end up firing it into the net. Robbie Fatoric was a great coach. I he told me one time, call me the front of the bus. I had a pretty good relationship with Robbie. He'd call me the front of the bus, and he'd just say, if you're coming down the right wing, how do you make the goalie open his legs up? How? And I, at that, well, at that point, I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I said, I, I don't know. You tell me. And he'd look at me and go, let's go back to your seat, Stein, if you don't know the answer. Oh. I said, what do you mean? Well, tell me what it is. He goes, I don't know either. So anyways, we got to, he'd do this shit all the time. he get you thinking. But, yeah, I guess he, pump fake, go a little bit, maybe opens his legs or whatever, loses the lane. But he he also, and I'm trying to, before I forget my thought here, he, he would tell me to take a puck and put it on the inside of the post low and another puck on the other inside of the post low. And he said, just pull pucks and don't shoot hard, just hit the puck. And I can remember him, I'd say, well, why, what are you this? And I said, because you're playing posts, Trevor. And I said, yeah, I know. And he said, so you're going to get really good at hitting posts. He said, next, last time I checked, you didn't score that many goals. Why don't you try shooting on the inside of the post? I did this. And he said, it's going to become muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Now, it was too late in my career to make this <laughs> effective, really. But when I went back and started coaching at university, I stuck with guys. It was unbelievable how many guys would do that and just get to the point where all they did is shoot in the offensive area, just a small area and stuff. But the little teaching points he had were unreal. Like he'd do shit like he'd put five pucks up. And he'd say, how many are you going to score? And I'd look at him. I'd get cocky. Eh? And I said, three. He'd take two away. I said, <laughs> And you know something? He just had a way of making you go to the rink and think and have fun and stuff. And 
I know that a lot of people said, you know, with him and the, the, the superstars, but man, I'll tell you, he, he helped an awful lot of guys and he certainly was an eye open. He's a breath of fresh air. I got shit from him. I did everything, but he always came to the rink. I think looked stern and looked mean, but he always was like willing and he always had a dry sense of humor and wanted to help, but he had great, great hockey ideas. Well, I know, you know, just Seve is one of those guys that, you know, I know the respect he has for, for Robbie, uh, always speaks very highly of him. And, um, I, I know a lot of guys do as well. I don't really recall hearing anyone, at least to me, when doing these interviews, when Robbie's come up that, uh, really had a bad word to say about him. Like, and I think the way that you've just uh, spoken about him, like everything is a lesson. Like even when he's, even when maybe you don't think he's trying to teach you something, he's trying to teach you something. And and it's obvious that even to this day, I'm sure that you took a lot of his lessons into your coaching career. Oh, 100%. Like I, he was always trying to help, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't going to necessarily yell and scream at you. He just come up, but you know, he wasn't going to give me the answer. He made me go back to the bus. He said, if you don't know the end, go back to the bus. Go back and you sit in your seat. You know, eventually we talked about it, but he said, he basically was saying, I'm trying to get you to think. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, you know, how do you make a guy flinch? How do you make of this? Well, the whole idea of being the best is, is knowing both sides of it and getting all the information. And he made you think of it. So we've spoken about some of your, your teammates who can be defined as characters. Uh, I don't know if this is the biggest character, but he's definitely right up there at the table. Killer Kevin Kaminsky. And uh, when I asked Killer what he remembered about playing with you, he said, Steiny was just the best, an awesome teammate, a great roomie. He goes, you guys would sit around and listen to country music. He said you were a true leader and a friend. I said, unfortunately, it's been a while, but you had lots of great times on and off the ice, and you'd sure chug a beer quick. And then he said, miss you, Chunky. Now, I'm sh- I, I hope he's calling you Chunky and not me, although he could very well have been calling me Chunky as well. But uh, what do you remember about playing with Killer? I've ne- Again, here's another guy I'll go. I've short, <laughs> chubby little belly on him. <laughs> and he was like a gladiator. Like there's nothing he wouldn't do. He truly was. I mean, I remember him. I remember Jacques Mayotte skating by the penalty box and he reached right around and just suckered him like in the box. Like everything he did was, was blew your mind of a little guy, mm-hmm. but he would win fights. He would, he's he, now, I've never seen a guy get cut more. Yeah. It's like he loved it. And yet he was like this little goofy little guy off the ice. He wore red shoes and <laughs> little Butler, little Butler suit. We used to make fun of him, And, for, there's only a small audience would ever even get this shit about the I love you chunk, but we had nothing better to do back then. And we the movies that were good were the Goonies and this big sloth guy. Yeah. And we used to make fun of Jacques as that because Jacques used to always get his ear going and make his ear move and go, I love you chunk. And so we, like, there were so many guys. That, if I phoned any guy up on that team right now, or if I just said, I love you chunk. They get it. They get it. I'm like, I can't say it's smart, but that's what Killer would do. Like, if he phoned me right now, that's what he'd probably he'd pull that. I love you, chunk. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> and it's kind of embarrassing because we still think today that it's funny. But 
Um, I think I even sent something out to David Bruce, the guy out in Vancouver that I play with, you know, just that little kid, whatever his name was, giving that guy the baby Ruth bar. And <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I can't really, I'm not proud of what made us laugh, but it made us laugh. Uh, you know, it's good, clean fun. Listen, we all did it. I mean, it wasn't like every every circle of friends didn't imitate that guy in that movie. So you, well, you guys were just well, like everybody else. Well, Kevin would be in the airport, and he'd just scream it. <laughs> just scream it. And then other guys would say it, too. So it was like these echoes all over the airport and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, it was uh, – it, it certainly it, – well, it puts – it's a perfect lead-in to how comfortable and how special – the lifestyle was when you know you can get up in the morning and practice and work your ass off and compete and be a man and then 30 seconds later you're in the dressing room imitating sloth on goonies (laughs) (laughs) and 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 you have an audience yeah oh well that's the key you you, you're you're a 20 something year old guy with other 20 something year olds and it doesn't matter if you're at home you're at the airport wherever if one of you say it then that's it. It just starts the chain reaction. Yeah. And you were saying like the boys are telling me about skinny legs and shit. <laughs> and I, I actually have a great, an unbelievable story, two of them, but one of them was after practice one day, I, I was kind of came out of the room and I think I'd been in the, in riding the bike or something, but Kenny Quinney was laying in the middle of the floor Another unbelievable player, unbelievable guy, should have played in the NHL. But Kenny Quinney was down on his back, and he was doing crunches and shit. I came out of the shower, and I had a towel around me. And he just looked, and he said, Steiny, honest to God, if I didn't see your face, you have the most beautiful legs I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't like. How do you take that? Like, basically, he called me a runway model. You know, nice. Hey, that, they legs, said that no about hit. Joe Namath did uh, uh, what you call a pantyhose commercial. You're well, just I, like Joe. Well, I got Joe. Hey, I couldn't play like Joe, but I bet you I had better legs than him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's what I remember. Oh, I remember that so vividly. Ken Quinney doing that, and then um, I don't know if I ever got into the story about the live chicken in the room. Oh, we're gonna get to that. So hold off okay. on that one. Okay. Good. Uh, I, I had to ask because he was someone that was very uh, present at your home games in Halifax. And I think he actually took a show on the road a bunch of times. But uh, what did the guys think about Claude, the trumpeter? God, he was crazy. He was great, though. <laughs> we loved him. You know, yeah. he'd like wipe his bum with the other team's jersey or something. And, yep. Yeah. And, he, and he'd turn the hat around and get his eyes crossed and everything. Yeah. He, I mean – that's awesome stuff. I mean, getting a crowd into it, you know, kind of. I mean, he probably crossed a few lines, but nothing that, you know, nothing that you couldn't accept. Right, right. I mean, he was, I guess, the unofficial official mascot, so to speak. Oh, yeah. It was like he could, we could have 1,100 people in that rank, and it would be like it was full with everybody when he got going. <laughs> uh, so we, we, we get to your, your final year in the organization. You find yourself back in Halifax, and, and, you know, like you talked about, it, it was tough at that point because I think you realized maybe the Quebec organization was not the right organization for you. Uh, you played 41 games that final year, 16 goals, by the way. Uh, now you had 190 penalty minutes. This team uh, did not lack toughness. Uh, one guy I definitely want to ask you about is someone that you had fought previously and 
Um, he's actually, uh, if I had a uh, minor league enforcer, Mount Rushmore, he's on it. What's it like playing with Serge Roberge and and just seeing him on a day to day basis? I mean, one of the one of the greatest to ever do it. What was Serge like? He unbelievable teammate, really nice guy off the ice. Like, yeah, he'd be in putting Vaseline all over his face, and I'd be going, "Shot, what are you doing all that shit for?" And he would like touch his eyes and he'd go, "Oh my god, it's like tissue paper itself." <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, 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 I've actually tried to re- find Serge because I, I don't know. It's just a guy that, I, I mean, he may not even think, he may not even remember me really. I'm sure he does, but he's just a guy I'd like to reach back to and just say, man, you were like an awesome teammate. Man, was he tough. Like, yeah. I can remember the one time I got in a, was squaring off, I think it was Rody Post check or something, and it was he came in and he was like, no, 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 no. This is my <laughs> fight. and you know, we kind of squabbled over on the ice, but <laughs> he knew his job. He liked it, and I I just had a lot of time for him. He, good team, very quiet off the ice. Really, there he had a soft side to him, a compassionate side, but he could have been one of the most strategically greatest fighters ever. Yeah, like, definitely. Oh, he could just tie you up and do shit like it was, yeah, it was crazy, and but a good, honest warrior. And I don't know his brother, but I assume he's the same. But Serge was just an awesome teammate, yeah. Uh, another guy that you and I have spoken about off the air, uh, we spoke about him the left, last time, uh, Daniel Dore. What do you remember about Daniel? Uh, Danny Danny's a really good friend of mine. And he's, he's when I was coaching, he'd come out and help me with stuff when he was scouting. And, uh, again, Danny Danny had such a bad back. Mm-hmm. Danny was probably one of the strongest guys I've ever met. Like he's just like a, he's that big guy that just lifts hay wagons and stuff. You know, <laughs> you, know you gotta lift it. You know, they gotta flatten the tractor. He just lifts it. You know, mm-hmm. um, and but he had his back was just a mess. So I really felt bad for Dan. Every time he got going, you know, the show the back would flare up on him and so forth. But I've remained really really good friends with Dan and. He's so well respected through the scouting and hockey community and so forth. He truly is just a, a great human being. What's he doing now? I hope he gets back on scouting because you know he was he. I think he's done with New York right now. But I mean, oh, I right, he was with the Rangers, right? Yeah, and okay. I got to think somebody's going to grab him because he's just a he just he's nothing but a worker. Yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, great guy. Uh, another guy you played with who's. Uh... Similar to you, he's got a son playing hockey now, uh, Scott Pearson. What do you remember about playing with Scott? Scott, really quiet, good player, huge, big, big kid, scored goals. Again, I don't, you know, I can't say I chum with him a lot, but I don't think he was there. He was there for shorter periods of time and gone, but, you know, always a good teammate and, you know, very respectful of the guys in the minors, you know, came down and, you know, he wasn't like he'd been hard done by or anything. He just jumped right in the lineup, worked his rear end off. And, you know, two weeks later, he was back up. You know, so uh, another guy who's uh, famous for the punch up in Piastani. Uh, you were a teammate of his Everett Sanapas, pretty tough guy, right? Everett is just an unbelievable human being. He's such a community guy here now in on, in his hometown. I think it's a big cove. Yeah, there's another guy, man. You, if he had a mean streak. He's heavyweight, like he's, he was 225, 230, 
and I'm not sure he lifted weights, mm-hmm. and yet he was the shot on him was hard. Yeah, just very loyal guy, good teammate, friendly, and if he was overly mean, he could have done a lot of damage. Now you you saw the uh, the advent of some of Quebec's finest players. We talked about playing with Joe Sackick. Now down in Halifax, you were you saw young Owen Nolan, and I kind of get the impression where if if playing with Joe was like a symphony, I kind of get the impression Owen Nolan, especially a young Owen Nolan, was like heavy metal. You remember playing with the uh, young Owen? Yeah, he was kind of young. The first time it was young, and, and, and he was okay the first year. But what I remember was he came down to the minors to, I don't know, condition. I think he got five goals in one game. Wow. And he just, you just said, okay, this this guy's a man. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, and when I say this, I mean, I, he just seemed like a young kid in his first year or so. You know, and I was probably only a couple of years older than him, but he just seemed, and then all of a sudden the second year, I just thought to myself, good God. Guys, like he's tough. He's player. He's a leader. You know, and he's and he had chip on his shoulder when he when he wanted to. When he wanted to be a a rotten bastard, he could be. There's a a player who I'm not sure. I don't think he was down in Halifax that long. I don't know if you crossed paths with him, but he's someone I have a lot of respect for. And I thank Mike McWilliam for really introducing me to his story. And uh, him and I have spoken a lot about about his journey to uh to north america playing hockey and uh we talked about um you know the stasnies and their defecting and that's ivan matulik did you play with ivan yeah i had a short stint with ivan and again czechoslovakian i believe big big strong like the rules are different like like i gotta think he'd make it now you know what i mean he just he wasn't a jerk out in the ice he wasn't overly mean or anything like that he was just a good player but he did whatever he had to do um, but uh, no, they're just a, I just, if I just said, what do you remember? Quality, yeah. quality human being. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't surprise me right now if he's done something pretty special with his life and so forth like that. I see him on Facebook once in a while, but I don't know what he does. I've just commented to say, you know, when something good happened, I remember just saying I was happy for him and he got right back type thing. So this year you fought a few guys that are known for being a little crazy. Uh, and again, we go back to the whole maritime thing. A lot of these guys were, were playing on the maritime teams. Uh, you had a run-in with Mark LaForge. Do you remember that one? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Did he knock me out? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't see it. But uh, I, I always ask guys about LaForge because I, I find him really I find him really fascinating. Uh, you know, just going back to his days in the OHL and, uh, you know, being thrown out of the league. And, and um, ju- I just find LaForge's story to be really fascinating. And I, I honestly can't get enough uh, listening to guys talk about him. So when I saw he was on your uh, on your list here, I, I figured I'd ask. But that's okay. Yeah, I'd like to go back on that because I, I, I don't remember. I remember playing against him. I remember guys saying how nuts he was. Yeah. But I also heard he's a pretty smart guy. Like he's a yeah. good guy and a smart guy. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones you have to worry about. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you definitely. Know, you know, a well-read guy, you know what I mean? Or something like a Grimson or something like yeah. that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, another guy you fought, one of your few fights that didn't take place against a maritime team. He's a guy who, who uh, ended his career with Quebec. Uh, I don't think you can really talk about him. I think big, I think you have to say big and strong when you talk about Bill Heward. Uh, do you remember fighting Billy? 
Yeah, I remember. I thought I did twice, but maybe it was just once. But oh, it might have been twice. These records are so hard to to keep. Yeah, I think he played for Providence too. Yes, and I may have fought him there, but I remember in Utica, I think. Mm-hmm. And right off the face, well, I, I mean, I when I say I started, it wasn't over confidence. It was just. <laughs> I don't think I even dressed the game before that, and I just knew I had to do something. And I think it was okay, but I, 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 you know, I think that if I think, well, he slipped, I did not hit him. Just the momentum of me swinging went over, went, he went down, we both went down. But he, I, I was kind of, he, I can remember him saying something. And I was just, I was just frustrated, and I just said, well, um, uh, whatever, you know what I mean? It was like I had to do this, and. I think he was that time was a heavyweight, especially in the American League. So he certainly could have come after me, but I think he sensed the fact that, look, I didn't play like the next best thing. Am I going to get one shift here is to fight you. Mm -hmm. That's it. So I think he just saw that. And I remember kind of the same feeling with, I can't even remember him and I don't know how I can't, but he put, he lives here in Antigonish and he's with the, he's the penalty minute leader. My good God. Dennis Bonvey. Mm-hmm. Dennis Bonvey was the same thing. He lined up against me one time, and I had two or three hundred minutes or whatever. And long year in Springfield, you know, I wasn't getting much ice. And he said, "Let's go." And I just said, "Like, I don't have it in me." You know what I mean? Like, not right now. Like, it's not good timing for me to my ass kick. <laughs> and he just tapped, gave me a shin pad tap and skated away. Yeah. So like, you know, guys were good. Uh, you ended up hooking up. Uh, we talked about earlier where you fought your old teammate Gord Donnelly. Uh, this season, uh, you met up with another old teammate. You fought Jacques Mayotte, who was with Moncton at the time. Yeah, that's another one. Just like, yeah, I don't know. I fought him in training camp too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We just, I don't know. I didn't have a, well, maybe I'm the dick here, but <laughs> I just, not- I just took it as a competition, you know yeah. what I mean? And mm-hmm. I, I didn't think if I'd bite Jock that I'd take his job. Right. But I just, if I fought Jock, I wasn't fighting Joe Sackick. You know what I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> like, I do think that these guys up there, you know, I can remember Quebec, I was saying, well, I don't want any fights in training camp. We don't need this. And fuck, you know, next thing you know, I mean, I'm fighting with Tony Twist and shit. And I know what he's <laughs> telling me not to. Yeah. And so... Yeah, I think it was more a respect factor. I mean, you've seen friends, you've seen brothers in the NHL fight. I mean, it's a, there's a bit of a, it's a compliment, I guess. You know, if a guy, I would think they should take it as a compliment. I, if I'm going to get beat, I'm going to get beat by him. You have to, you know, fighting down a weight class does, does nobody any good. So you may as well fight the big boys. 100%. And Jacques knew his job and he was yeah. probably going to get kudos for doing frightening me when he was with Moncton. But I remember, I remember the Moncton fight. I mean, again, I thought I was doing pretty good. You know, I was like, then I, it's like naked chill cold. So he just <laughs> had me. And, and then I can remember him sticking his tongue and waving at me. And then he took a couple swings and, and probably down I went or we went down and it was all over. And, you know, I, if you ask Jacques right now, like I've kept in contact a little bit with Jacques over a couple things, and he's just a great teammate. There's a guy wears goofy clothes, likes to cook, you know, and yet look what he did. I mean, look what he made himself into yep. or made himself do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, you mentioned before that uh, 
You almost had a fight with Rudy Poshek and Serge came in and said, no, no, that's my fight. But I do have it listed where you guys did actually fight that year. Is that a mistake on my part or did you guys end up locking horns? No, I, I, I did. I actually had a decent fight with Rudy. Yeah. Um, and I tore my ligament in my thumb, but it was like, I just did not give a shit. Like yeah. I was pretty kind of happy about it, but yeah, I think it was the game, probably the next game afterwards that, he probably wanted to, you know, get back at me or whatever. But that's when Serge just had no part of it. But, um, yeah, I actually remember that game. It was in Halifax. That's the danger in, in doing well against a guy like Rudy Poshek. You know that it's not over. 100%. One, yeah, and I give him credit because yeah. he, you know, he didn't get up yelling, screaming. He just like, he might have just slipped. I don't mm-hmm. know. But he, you know, it was nothing. He wasn't right. hurt. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, he just skated away and you think it's over and no, he's, he's, he's coming back. So Steiny, we're going to conclude your tenure with Quebec, Fredericton, Halifax here. Uh, obviously throughout the journey, you had a lot of ups and downs. Uh, there's no better way to put the bow on this portion of your career than to um, talk about the story that you alluded to earlier uh, about the night Clement Jodoin, or if I said his name wrong, obviously I'm not French. Uh, he tried to fire up the troops one night. Could you, uh, could you relay that story now? Holy fuck. I try to remember it, but we had a tough team. I mean, we had, we didn't have a, we had a tough team. But we had a, like a couple guys that I, you know, at that point you guys go, they're disasters. You know, they smitty. <laughs> I think it was Max. I mean, fuck, there was, it was Roberge. Dan and Celette, probably Santa Pass. Fuck, I don't know if Kimbo's there. I don't even know. But we were playing Utica. And there was already a couple of fights. So it was pre-planned, I think. After the first period, we were behind. And there was nobody afraid on the team. Like, if anything, that's how we were going to lose the game was by being idiots. <laughs> Joe, Jacques. Claude Jean, Joe Duane came, fuck, there's no one going to believe me here. <laughs> he came into the dressing room and he started, and if he had a French accent, he put a towel down on the floor. And he goes, so we get to push around. And now what are we going to do? Are we going to, and he laid down on the towel. And he goes, are we just going to lie down? <laughs> Well, fuck, I mean, I, I've got my head down, and I'm going, oh, God, where is he going with this? And it gets worse. Like, he fucking literally came in, left, and he came back with a with a skate lace tied to the legs of a chicken. A live chicken. A live chicken came in the, the fucking room. And walking around, and he said, are we chicken? Are you chicken? And I'm just looking around. I'm looking around. You know how you got the sweat towel. If you don't yeah. have a sweat towel at that point, I'd have walked across the room, gone right in the shower to grab five of them, just put over my face. <laughs> and I said, and I, I can remember. I can remember Clear's day thinking, what in the fuck is he doing? He's going to start a fucking brawl. Like, this is this is not good. <laughs> so basically, he just, so that's when the troops just went out. And we, every single one of us got into it. And it was a disaster, but the guys never forgot that. You know, are you going to play like a chicken and lie down and you lay down on the towel and everything like that? But again, next, <clears throat> I think we won the game, but 
I think Claude never, Clem never forgot to take the chicken back. Because in the morning when we went back in for a skate, he was in the shower. Still alive, everything. Walking around still, the, the skate lace on it and everything. So animal rights wouldn't like to hear that. But he yeah, he brought live chicken in the room and it it it, it worked. It worked, but in an ugly way. <laughs> I mean, that would be, if that happened today with, you know, social media and all that stuff, it would literally be, well, aside from what you said, animal rights would be all over it, but that would sort of be the stuff of legend if it was, uh, if it was done on the much larger scale of, uh, of the world today, uh, where you can't fart without it being on social media. But uh, I think maybe, did Clement might have had chicken for dinner the next night then, I guess, maybe. Well, he might have, but I can tell you, when you tell, when you, you don't bring that thing in when you got Greg Smith, you know, those guys. I mean, it was just, the second the chicken came in, I think the boys just all got up, went in and started lubing up, <laughs> putting on the foil. <laughs> yeah, it was messy. In fact, that was a game, I think, one of the, Charlie Banfield, a, a local retired ref, that I think that he got his finger stepped on that game in one of the fights and was really bad, which we all felt horrible about. But right. I can even, I think even because I've talked to Charlie, maybe it was 20 years ago, but after that fact, it's like, what the hell happened to your team? I came out like that, you know, just, <laughs> and that's the story. There's live chicken in the room and the towels to lie down on. Unbelievable. Like you said, especially with that group, it's not like, and listen, I'll show my age and, you know, maybe people say I'm a Neanderthal, but it's not like you're, he's bringing in the chicken to try to rile up, you know, a bunch of Swedes. I mean, like you say, you had a you had a crew there. You had some beef there. I, I can I only wish there was a camera there, not so much to see the chicken, just to go around the room and see the guys' reactions. I mean, I, you're I want to say you're lucky to have seen it, but I just I would just your reaction, and just to see the reaction of all these other guys who've never needed to be prodded to go out and play physical. I, I just, I wish there one was thing, One thing that's always interested me is the psychology of things. And, mm-hmm. and all my friends are going to be, I hope nobody watches this because everybody that listens to this is going to go, now Trevor's starting to think he's a psychologist. <laughs> I, I, people's reactions sometimes to things, that's what got me, is the reactions to these guys. And I, at that point when he was doing it, I, I, I think I truly would take a step back out of what I, what I was thinking as a hockey player and going, this is a mistake. <laughs> this is going down as a classic might get them hired, might get them fired. It's going to cause a shit show. And it, it, it just did. It just did. Then to go in the next day and think, well, what the fuck did that just happen? <laughs> and then find out later the chicken's still in the shower like making like whatever they make with sound <laughs> it was loud you played in the nordiques organization for seven years and after seven years um you parted ways with quebec was that a mutual decision was that something you wanted was it something they wanted um what led to you leaving the organization um well i was living in halifax to tell you the truth and i can remember at the end of the year you know clem jodwan who was a coach said that he said a you know, he wanted me to, he sounded encouraged to have me sign my termination so that I would be back. Um, and I, no disrespect to Clem, but I, I was prepared, I think, to let it go at that point because I just felt that they, 
I don't know. I wanted to stay there. I had to, I killed myself to get back in the lineup. I played 40 games. You know, I had 16 goals. N- not great. You know, I didn't. But at the same time, I had 200 minutes, and I, I felt that I'd done everything I had to do to prove to them that I wanted to at least be the guy here. And I think you need that guy that's in the community and so forth. Um, you know, it wasn't like I sold myself as that, but I was hoping that. So when they kind of just said, sign your termination, I I just said, no, I had no other options. And that's when I, you know, I was a little lost. And I just went out and that's, I phoned Brian Burke and asked him if there's any opportunity there. And then things kind of opened up a little bit with, with Springfield and Hartford. So before you went to Springfield, you did end up playing a season in New Haven. Uh, and for uh, old fossils like myself, we know New Haven uh, was a longtime AHL team for the Rangers. And then later on, uh, they were the AHL team for the LA Kings. And when you played for them, you actually still had the Kings colors on the uniforms. But when you were there, they were an independent team, correct? I think LA had pulled their pulled their affiliation out. They were going strictly IHL, I think, in Phoenix. So they were independent when you were there, right? Yeah, they, uh, it, was, it was a really neat situation because there was guys like John Anderson, Stan Grulia, Al Tour, uh, David Latta. It was a bit of a dumping grounds, I think, for some of the older guys. And I, I don't blame Quebec. I mean, at that point, my skating had gone. So I don't. I know I wasn't about to be necessarily brought up or, or wasn't in their plans, but I, I really did enjoy living in Halifax and thought, you know, if I could get a few years here as just the guy down in the minors. Um, but they decided to ship me to New Haven, which was like a second a second chance. And I don't know if I made the most of it, but I had it. We had our team had a really good year. I felt like I, you know, I, I did what I had to do. I don't know. I might have had sixteen or seventeen goals and seventeen. You know, yeah, a couple hundred okay. minutes, and it was a it was a good year. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I played with some great guys. It gave me a little bit different look and feel I guess and and then I got signed by by Hartford and it was probably a lot had to do with it was probably because New Haven and Springfield had some horrid um, battles like I mean we had a lot we was a lot of fisticuffs a lot of rough stuff um, and that was we played them like 18 times I think nine and nine so um, yeah it was it was coming it was a little difficult making the change you know walking into their dressing room the following year but it was you know it was funny you know, because we we had a lot of battles. New customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. In West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly in partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Reese's. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 
21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10-plus legal requirement for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. So I was going, as I was going down the roster for New Haven, I say this with all affection. It really did look like sort of the land of misfit toys. Like you said, it was sort of like a collecting ground for, for a lot of veteran players. Uh, it, it was basically, in my opinion, it was an IHL team in the AHL. You had a lot of veterans on this team. Uh, so the IHL at that time, you had some affiliates, but mostly you had some teams that were just basically all veterans. And this looks like what New Haven ended up being because the next year uh, Ottawa picked them up as their as their affiliate. So this was the one season for New Haven where there were there weren't any. But I'm looking at guys like I think you had mentioned Al Tor, um, Lou Francisetti, Jimmy Sprott, a guy you John Anderson who was a player coach. I think I don't. I loved him. John Anderson is a guy who, if if you didn't watch him play, he's just a name. But John Anderson was a great player. He was unreal, man. I've never seen a guy, you know, he used to just get used guys as picks. I remember one time he said, you know, jokingly goes, look, I said, I'm trying to get open. He goes, no, I don't go to the net, Stein. He just, if you see me having any problem, just come over as close to me as you can. All he would do is just use me as a pick and roll, you know. <laughs> I said he could – it's like me using me as a barrel in a in a bullfight, you know what I mean? He just yeah, protected him from his, the other guy after him. But he was a genius. Stan Drulia, like you say, Al. Uh, gee, there's, there's tons. Jerome Bouchard, Daryl Williams. I mean, there was just a lot of characters. Very tight team. I remember it being a really enjoyable dressing room. A uh, lot of fun. Everybody knew their role. Yeah, that's probably the best. And you know what? If you look at John Anderson's um, hockey DB, you look at his stats, got a ton of NHL games, a ton of NHL goals. But I'm guessing uh, this had to be a really fun year for him because there's always pressure. But on this team, you know, you're playing with a bunch of veterans, playing with guys you battled against. And like like you say, like John Anderson, he's using you for a pick and stuff like that. I, I would venture to guess if I was able to speak to John Anderson, this would probably have to be one of the most fun years of his career. Oh, I think that was. I mean, he filled the net. I mean, he and Stan Drilly had 49 goals. I mean, yeah, they had a lot of they had a lot of fun. They they played a ton and and we loved them because they gave us a chance to win every game. 100 percent uh, for those of you that hear in the background, that's my uh, 11 pound dog. Sometimes she thinks she's a Doberman. I don't know what she's barking at, but uh, but she just I, I guess she felt left out. So she just wants to make make her presence felt. No, but... no, it's at the door. Protecting yeah, me. Exactly. She's the watchdog. Um, so you you played with a couple of characters and I think everyone that's played with Al Tor or Lou Francisetti, they have an Al Tor or a Lou Francisetti story. Uh, do you have a, a story about either one of those guys or both? I could tell you stories about Al, Al, Al all day long. I Got mean, what's the best day. one? Give me, a, give me the best one that won't get anyone in trouble. Well, I mean, I guess you just have to know how tough he is. I yeah. mean, he just, but he, I, 
I'm trying to think of a story that wasn't <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't incriminate him. Yeah, please. I guess just the fact that I think he fought like a McClellan was down. I think, and I mean, I thought if those two ever go, you know, Al's tough, but no, Al Al won. Um, he didn't act tough, but I used to drive with him every day, and he used to, you know, he had his three kids, his wife there, and he had this big Ford truck. And if we were there, if we were there in 19. 19- 92 this truck was in 1972 we used to call it bitsy betsy and oh my god he he said let's go we're driving betsy to the rink today and so he just i i can't even explain what he did he just is like a farmer every place he went oh geez did i just do something wrong no you're still good just i just hung out with him every day like we went and walked on the beach and stuff and he used to come over and you know, he'd have a few beers and joke around and so forth like that. But he's just a character. Like, he would just, you know, he'd be walking down the street and he'd just pull his pants right up to his armpits and start walking <laughs> like an idiot. You know, and just, like, it was just everywhere he went. Um, he just had so much. He's so involved with everybody. He'd go upstairs. I remember, now, God rest her, his, her name is uh, Judy Dunlop, and she used to work in the front office. And I, she's passed now. God bless her. She was the nicest lady in the world. Al and I would just go up there and just hang out with her and talk to her. And she loved him, but he would just carve me basically tell, Oh, everything, everything, everything that he wanted to do. He told her I did. And then, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I have any stories. He was just incredibly tough guy, incredibly nice guy and incredibly just a clown. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, to this day, still talk to Al and joke with him. But I mean, even in practice, I mean, He'd just be in a good mood one day and somebody just beat him one-on-one and he, he might just go break his stick right over their leg and just say, don't do that again. Right. And, you know, I was probably the only guy that could say, I'll don't be a dick. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what did he do one other time? He was a, some kid fell in practice and he didn't like him. And the kid wasn't a great kid, but we didn't know he was hurt. And the kid fell and hurt his back and Al was yelling at him to get up. So he started taking slap shots at the kid and he found out the kid was actually <laughs> On the ice, he actually was hurt, so Al kind of felt bad. But, yeah, he was old school about everything. But once you – I think he, he gained your respect. There couldn't have been a nicer guy. There's a couple other players uh, on that team that I think um, fans know about. But from what I've heard, they're they're pretty much characters as well, maybe undercover characters for people who don't follow the minors. Uh, you mentioned Jerome Boom Boom Bouchard. And also Mike Butters was there for a spell, wasn't he? I think Butsy was there for a little bit. I don't really remember Butsy, but I, 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 the only reason I don't think I play with him is because I've heard too many good things about him <laughs> from Kevin Kaminsky and the guys. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I ever experienced it, but with uh, Beesh, yes. Beesh was my left winger. Um, Beesh and I used to get – He, I was a little bit bigger than him. I loved – my game was forechecking, and so was his. So I can remember us – like line up with David Ladder before the game and kind of go, Dave, okay, let's go and, you know, let's get it, dump it in my corner. Beach go dump it in mine. And then Beach and I'd start arguing who was a better forward <laughs> on the ice. Like, Beach, you're too small. You're like, you're, you're, you just, you're not good enough at this. Let me get the hit. You do this. And he wouldn't. So we'd literally be arguing with David Ladder on the ice about where the puck should go and stuff, but loved playing with both of them. 
Now, you told me a story once. I think this is a, this is a great story uh, about – it's not even so much about the fight, but you had a run-in uh, with Graham Townsend, who was his capital district at the time. And I don't think the fight amounted to much, but uh, if you want to take us through the fight and then the aftermath of the fight, I think it's a really good story. Well, I mean, again, C.D. Iyer, he played in Troy. So it was just – I mean, he didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. We probably just ran into each other, and it was probably a boring game. And, uh, you know, Graham, to me, was never a guy that did anything. You know, if he wanted to fight, he'd fight you, but he didn't cheap shot you. Yeah. So we ended up getting in a fight. I have no I, recollection of the fight. There was a one of the refs down there was named Richard Shirley. Richard Shirley was from the Maritimes. He's from Halifax. He's a cop. My cousins are cops. I know him really well. Uh, in fact, he built a house just down the road from me. Um, so anyways, during the game, we got in the fight. Um, as we were breaking it up, I was on top when I was getting up. At that point, we'd exchanged a couple, you know, it wasn't like we we're eye gouging, but certainly pushing on each other's jaws and noses and stuff like that. And we got, there's a few unpleasantries exchanged, no big deal. But when I was getting up, Richard Shirley, and I don't know why, asked him this day, why would you think, he thought I was going to maybe take an extra shot. There was absolutely no way I was going to, probably would have tried to say something funny so I didn't have to fight him again. As I got up, Richard Shirley, I believe, kind of was like, you know, grabbed me a little bit and was like, hey, Steiny. Well, I kind of slipped a little bit and my foot went down on Graham's ankle. Obviously, I had my skate on. And he screamed bloody murder. Uh, to me, it was like, oh, God, I, you know, and I kind of fell on this and that. And I wasn't, I don't know. You know how when you do that thing after it's done, it was a complete accident. And then yeah. he started saying stuff. So by the time I'd reacted, it probably didn't sound like I did it by accident. But I would not want anybody to think I would ever do that to anybody. And anyways, so at that point, I kind of just said to hell with it. Then if you think I did it, good, take it. You know, <laughs> and, you know, that severed your foot right off. And yeah. Then Richard Shirley gets in the box and he goes, did you step on him, man? That was brutal. Stein, you can't do that. And he's giving me this like that. And then all of a sudden it's just, no, I didn't. I didn't mean to anything like that. So he said, well, I don't know how it came up, but he said to me, basically, as if he could take care of this issue, if I could give him a really cool pair of those black and silver gloves. (laughs) Son of a bitch. Took the gloves from me. Kept the gloves. I didn't get the five. I I don't think I didn't deserve it, but I think that Richard Shirley basically held me hostage for those gloves. Well, they <laughs> were sharp. those were sharp gloves. I mean, that, they <laughs> even had the King's colors. So th- those uniforms were, were sharp. They, yeah. were, and they were the Sherwood ones, where the where the pads went, you know, along the same lines as your your bones in your hand, so they yeah. didn't go across. Like, but anyways, yeah, Richard Shirley. So of course, when Richard Shirley gets back, I get back to town. You know, yeah, my cousins and that are going, hey, man, I, someone said that you, like, just cut this guy's ankle. And I'm going, <laughs> oh, God, Richard, like, fall for a pair of gloves. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I've actually talked to uh, Townsie. He was with Toronto at one point as their skating coach yep. or something. And I, I went with down there t- as a coach one time, a little, like, a whatever, just a, for training camp. Um, volunteer coach and met him. So we, we kind of had a laugh about it, but I hope he's, you know, he was doing well and I hope he still is. He actually, I saw him last year. He came uh, back for alumni day here on, on the Island. So uh, I saw Graham, he's doing real well. And for those of you that may not be familiar with 
Graham, uh, running into Graham is no uh, nothing that you want to do willingly. The man is he's basically a building. So uh, to run into him is is not something that you really want to do. Uh, that is a big man, Steiny. And uh, and what I'll say is obviously you didn't mean to do it because as I go back to what we talked about earlier in the interview, you had a chance to really give it to Ulf Samuelson, someone who did deserve it, and you didn't. And Graham is a great guy, so obviously he didn't deserve it. But uh, but I mean, we all know you're not that type of player. But uh, but that's yeah, well, a bit, you know, that's so, a big man to run into. Yeah, and what goes around comes around. We've seen it. Like Ulf had some horrible st- stuff happen to him, and. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know the guy, but you know, like you say, if you if you if you play with fire, you're gonna get burned. Yeah. Hey, I, Ulf could be a great human off the ice. I I never met him. Uh, he he might be a great guy to have a beer with, but on the ice, uh, and me and Jimmy McKenzie go back and forth on this because uh, we discussed Ulf a few times, and he he basically comes back with, "Well, you like Darius Kasparitis, right?" And I said, "Yeah, I loved him." He goes, "Well, some people didn't like Darius," and I go, "Yeah, but." Uh, you know, to me, Ulf is still the king of the cheap shots. So, uh, but, but I, you know, I love Jim. I respect him for defending his teammate even till this day. Well, there's a guy right there, Jim McKenzie. I mean, I got a ton of time for him too. I mean, at the end of my career, I signed with Hartford. Yeah. But when I go to camp, I mean, I play with all the guys in the minors. So, you know, Bolio, uh, Daniels, you know, they're all good buddies of mine and, you know, they knew their role. I knew mine, you know, but, you know, Jimmy was embraced us. He knew we had that job, you know, and I think at one point when we were at camp, I was, I wasn't having a real good camp. This is my second year. I'm pretty sure I just was out of sorts. And I, I think I kind of did the, you know, okay, Jimmy, he just, you don't want this. Like, no, you know, he basically just said, dude, like, don't do this. Like, yeah. don't make me do it. Don't do this. And I was just like, thank you, man. But <laughs> you, know, you don't, you just want to be able to be sitting in the room. And if he says, you know, why would you do that? Just say, look, man, I, cause I don't want to look like I don't want to do it or I'm not willing to. Right. But I mean, he was a freaking monster, man. Like he was just so tough. And, but again, he just knew his job. He was respectful, good guy. So I got lots of time for him. I think, um, I think the NHL was lucky how nice of a guy Jim McKenzie was because I think if Jim McKenzie had a mean bone in his body, he could have hurt a lot of people when he fought them. I mean, the guy was, he was so good at what he did when he dropped the gloves, but he was always such a nice guy. I think if the NHL had seen a mean Jim McKenzie, that would be dangerous for a lot of people. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of tough guys here. You know, even go back and think about, you know, Jeff, uh, Daniels and uh you know Chief and and Corey Bolio and there there were some there were some tough kids that that went through that Springfield program as well. Yeah, we're going to talk about some of them. We're actually going to talk about two of them right now because you've ended up fighting again. I a lot of the fight cards are sketchy, but I have you at New Haven fighting a couple of guys you played with the following year, uh Corey Bolio who you mentioned and uh Brian Chapman. And again, we you talked about how you uh, you played Springfield a bunch of times, and it's it's kind of cool because you got to experience all the maritime rivalries when you're with Halifax. Now you're experiencing the, all the New England teams and their rivalries. And I always I always wonder, a guy like you, you know, it's part of your game. The the Springfield and the the Hartford Brass, you know, Brian Burke at the time, they they follow their American League teams obviously, and 
if they're constantly looking at the score sheets or at the game and they say, hey, this, you know, I, I remember Trevor, he's always getting into it with our guys. That might be a good guy to have uh, on our team. And I always wonder about that. You know, you obviously had your share, uh, share of scraps with the Indians that year. And like I said, the ones I have listed are you fought Bolio and you fought Chapman. I don't know if you remember either one of those. I think, I think both fights were pretty good. I remember because I, I wasn't, I, yeah, I remember Bolio's. I think we had a decent one. I always had a lot of time for both of those guys. Yeah. Um, I, I remember doing a lot of, like it gone to the point where you were really doing some, I guess some stupid shit to kind of get under the skin. And I can remember Mark Gregg used to just destroy us. Mm-hmm. And I can remember, he's a, he was a good sized kid, but he was a good player. Yep. And, you know, I'm trying to get him off his game. And, and this, the year before I went there, I can remember telling him what I wanted to do to him, but I'm, I'm not jumping him. Yep. And then at one point we had a little dust up. And so I kind of grabbed him and I'm not going to fight him, but he, uh, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but I just want to get under his skin so bad. I wanted to do something. So he was kind of, he had the, he had the mullet, right? So he yeah. had his helmet on. So I grabbed his hair at the back. And as I was standing there trying to taunt him, I pulled up on his hair. Well, you know how much that hurt. Well, that fuck And I knew it did. I said, oh, I, I said, nice, nice locks here. And, you know, I'm just whatever I could do to kind of get him to do something. And he didn't. So anyways, I don't know whatever happened. The game went on, and I got signed with them. So I went there in July, and their whole, all their prospects and their draft choices went down early, and they stayed in townhouses, and they trained. So Brian Burke sent me down there to do the same thing. He said, I want you with these guys. You're going to be playing with them all year. So the first thing I show up, and I'm going into this townhouse, got three guys, unpack my stuff, meet them, and we say, well, we're going over. So I sit down with Chief. Bolio and Mark Gregg mm-hmm. sitting down there and they're asking me questions and meeting them and how you doing. And Mark Gregg comes out of the kitchen. He goes, I just got to ask you why, what, what, <laughs> why would you pull my hair? Why did you do that? And then the trainer Webb summer, he'd said that I got hit into the bench. And when I was coming down, hit him over the back with a stick on purpose. I don't remember that, but I mean, it was like one of those where you just, you just truly felt you're in the defendant's chair because right. all these guys. And then of course, Bolio started and then chief, all the cheap things that I did and then everything. So at one point, and then they all just laughed and we had kind of a big group hug and we knew we we're all on the same side. So it was great, but there was a little awkward point there, you know, when you're pulling a guy's hair. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, again, I always go back to the, the fans of today, the younger fans. I, I don't know how much they respect the the generation that came before them. I, I remember Mark Gregg as a really good NHL player, but I also remember his time in the American <laughs> League. That's that's a, he's a target. You have to get Mark Gregg off his game because he's what you know, in the NHL, he was a solid second line player in the American League. He's a top 10 player in the entire league. So it's understandable why you're, why he's a target. And I'm sure he understood that, but you know, like you say, the first meeting, sometimes it could probably get a little awkward. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I didn't, you know, I don't think tough guys, I think the, I didn't consider myself a heavyweight. So I always kind of considered myself just a tall skinny guy that could hit and get under the skin. And so there's a lot of times when I would, I, I and again, I guess the only word you can use is target, but you know, if you can give Mark Gregg a hard enough time, 
you know, if I could get enough ice time to get out there with him and get him off his game, that's what I would do. And that's when I felt really involved in the game and found that that's when I was skating at the best, when I was getting under, looking for the big hits, looking for those times to rub guys out and do some things. So your feet are moving. So I always felt I played better hockey when I was engaged. If I was just going to go out there because I was trying to, you know, free myself of the guilt and get in a fight, I mean, you can just stand around like an idiot and just tap a guy for that. But I found when I found the fights naturally or when they came to me, it was because I was doing something, you know, like going after a Greg or someone like that. Not not bordering on breaking the lines, but, you know, if I could line those guys up, I, I certainly took every opportunity to do it. And that's probably what brought some of the crap my way, which I had to defend myself, whether I did it well or not, you know, it doesn't matter. Greg should have taken it as a compliment because after all, you're the guy who shadowed a prime Sylvain Turgeon in a playoff game. So Greg should have taken it as a compliment that he was your assignment. I should have reminded him. I yeah. actually, <laughs> I love you. I mean, I've had better, big, bigger, bigger projects than you. <laughs> well, if you I, ever... I, I actually think Gregor scored probably, I think I was minus for him, but I wasn't with Turgeon. <laughs> Well, Terjan probably spent the first two periods wondering what what's happening here, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, but it was a, we had some crazy bouts. I can remember even when I went to Springfield, we had so many we had so many fights that got out of hand, five on fives with them. I got suspended for six games, and so did Jerry St. Cyr. Oh, I got, got yeah, that's uh, I got that on the list here. But you can talk about it now. Yeah, oh, we absolutely. got suspended, but six games, but only against each other. Yeah, it was like it was like we couldn't be put on the ice at the same. Like, I'm mean, we had a five on five, and I can remember Brian Burke and all the brass being down that game. And I, I honestly thought that, oh, at the end of the game, I mean, I'd been thrown out. We'd had a fight right at center ice, and I, I think it was a really good fight with Saint Cyr. He wasn't a big guy, but he was tough. And when it was all over, we fucking suspended. And it was it was crazy. And Brian Burke was there, and I got thinking, here I go. Probably going to have to pay my own fine here now or something like that. Brian Burke, I thought he was going to buy us dinner. He's <laughs> yeah. so excited. Now he said, you're going to get suspended for that. You know that. And I said, you think? Yeah. And, and then we ended up getting six games. But at that point, it was, look, six games against New Haven and six games against Springfield. You guys don't play. So, I played the next game, but if I played them, I didn't. So, yeah, I, I was uh, found those type of suspensions interesting. The American League, probably the IHL, probably did it the same way, or the East Coast League, where you could get suspended X number of games, but it was against particular teams. I, I always found that interesting. I, I'd say creative, also. You know, some probably it probably was all right because I. I will say that rival games usually got me nervous a little bit. It just didn't there. And I mean, it wasn't because I was winning them or anything like that. I just, I just, I just felt more important in that those games. Cause you know, I might even have chipped in the odd goal, but I mean, it was the fact is you were just so involved every shift. You had to be ready every shift, you know, for, for to play or to get in a fight. But I mean, it was really a, a rival that was kind of crazy that people probably didn't even realize was that, that heated. I, uh, you mentioned Brian Burke a few times, so we'll, we'll get, you signed with Hartford and, um, I guess, I guess Burke, one of his favorite words is truculence. And I guess he would say that you played with truculence, which is probably why you were on his radar. Um, I'm assuming it was awesome playing for Brian Burke, right? Having him as your boss. Best time I liked Brian Burke was when I was in Fredericton. He was with Vancouver, and he was the player personnel there. And he used to come down and go on the ice with all the guys. 
and I I absolutely loved him. He wasn't my management, but um, at that point, that was the year I probably had like 400 minutes with the with the playoffs yeah. included. Uh, at that point, he gave me a fair bit of attention. He just felt like he could wind me up and do everything, but he'd go on the ice and play one on one with us. Believe it or not, like yeah. I mean, he was. Uh, and he wasn't very good. He was, but he, but he'd see hand you, but he spit leaf chewing tobacco on the ice. He spit it on your legs. Yeah. You know, he wouldn't give a shit. Like he was so out there, but man, what a loyal human being. Like, I, and there's a lot of people that I could give a shit if you like Brian Burke or not, but mm-hmm. man, I'm telling you, you appreciate it when he's in your corner. Oh, I bet. Oh yeah. I mean, and the best part is, you know, people that don't like him, you know, he likes physical hockey. He likes this. Like, you can't call him a dummy or a cement head. The guy has a law degree. So it's like, what, what can you say about Brian Burke? You can't insult him because he's he's pretty much a renaissance man when it comes to hockey yeah, like and he, life, you know. We had a big road trip he went with us, and I can remember the boy, boys when I was working. I was going to say, yeah, well, guys in the van can't have any of the beers, can they? Or, you know, Burke, he doesn't like that. You know, I was teasing him because, you know, he's a beer guy. And yeah. we had a pretty good part of a road trip and at one point he, we got on the bus and he, he they used to call him Berkey Bundles. Berkey Bundles? Why is because that? When, I don't know. You remember when Burger King had those three little bundles burgers? Oh, yeah. We used to always joke about, you know, him use, eating the big ones. Like, <laughs> so I can remember he was at the front of the bus and it was all quiet. He goes, hey, Stein. I said, yeah. And he goes, I got a half spilt beer up here. You want it? <laughs> The fucking bus just cried laughing. Everybody, ooh, like that. And I said, I said, uh, yeah. I said, I don't got a beer here, but I got a small fucking chewed up hamburgers that nobody wants back here. Do you want them? <laughs> the boys were like, oh, you just screwed yourself, man. You don't go after Berkey for being fat like that. But Pete didn't give a shit. He, you no. could say whatever you wanted to him. And yeah, I, yeah, he was. He was a real help to me in my career, especially when he signed me, but he just gave me a little bit of confidence and self-value for what for what I was doing out on the ice, which meant a lot to me. He probably respected you more for uh, giving him the gears a little bit there, you know, because I'm sure, you know, position of authority, a lot of times people won't necessarily say it, but the fact that you kind of felt that you were comfortable enough to, to give it back to him a little bit, he probably even respected you a little bit more. Yeah, and I think he he opened the door for guys to do that. And if you, but I mean, you could break down a lot of doors doing. And and you know, some I still had a lot of talks with him even then. I mean, I was still trying to find my game, and at that point, so I mean, you know, even though he's with Vancouver, I mean, you sit in the dressing room with you and talk, and he'd still help you. And he he just he just loves hockey. I mean, there you got you got a lawyer that just couldn't get out of the game. He loves it so much. Now the two seasons you were with Hartford, um, uh, there there are a couple of names I want to ask you about in the training camp she went to. Uh, that first year, we already spoke about uh, Jimmy. Um, did you spend uh, a lot of time or any time with Mark Jansons, who to me is one of not only is he a fantastic player, uh, a lot of times you don't get tough centers. Um, to un- under, I think he's underrated as far as a tough guy and and a really super individual as well. I don't know if you had a lot of time with Mark. Met him. That's it though. I yeah. don't really remember going through a, you know, any training camp with him or being, you know, playing with him or sitting beside him in the room or anything like that. I, I actually really did enjoy the Hartford guys though. Like yeah. I can remember getting there and, you know, there was John Cullen and guys, yeah, just like from top to bottom, you didn't feel like you were in the minors. It was just right. different. And I think in Quebec, we were a lot older, right? You had Peter, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't stand in the room with Peter. Right. 
and feel equal. You know what right. I mean? Right. And that's not his fault. That's that's his that's his right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Ground that standing with the heart for guys, and you know, there's even Nick Kiprioses and guys like that. No, they just seemed to you come in. It didn't matter if you're in the Springfield or not. They they gave you all the time in the world. Uh, a young kid at the time who you may not remember, but he went on to have a pretty good NHL career and, and absolutely tough as nails. Uh, Kenny Belanger was a Hartford draft pick. Do you remember Kenny at all? That was before me. He was about the same age as me. No, he's younger. Is he? Yeah. No, yeah. I don't. I don't remember Kenny. No, I didn't play with him. No. Okay, and then. Uh, I believe he was in camp with with you that first year. Someone who I loved watching play. He used to terrorize the Rangers. They could not do anything with him, and that's Tim Kerr. Uh, did you have any any time with Tim Kerr during that training camp? Tim Kerr was the assistant uh, was the assistant coach in uh, Springfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Timmy was. Geez, he was huge. Yeah. He was like massive i mean here's the guy yeah i mean he was just a good guy but you know he was at the front of the bus most of the time and mm-hmm. you know he wasn't he was just fresh out of his career i think at that point so um there was him and i'm trying to think who he was coaching with at the exact time when he was there but it yeah i'm trying to think of my coaches there jay leach who i i really did like i enjoyed him and then the second coach was i'm jesus i can't even think of his name your second head coach Yep. It's a guy named I, Joel Quenville. Yes. That's, that's <laughs> what I'm no, I was just sitting there and I'm going, yeah. that was his first year. Yep. And it was kind of neat because, you know, you knew it was his first year, but he had something, man. You wanted to play for him. That's what I can. Yeah. And at that point I was kind of drifting off and Joel kind of knew, you know, I, that was near the end and I got absolutely fed by right at the benchmark major. And that was pretty much the end of my time. So but he was he was good to me. Joel was good to me. But I, yes, I do remember that. And there's two very different because we had uh, Jay Leach, which I mean, he just was an older guy that had been around. And I can remember him kind of looking at me and going, he had to pull me out of the lineup one night. Paul Sear, who a great guy. I mean, he had his problems off the ice and so forth, but he was a really good guy. And I can remember him saying, you know, Steiny, I got to take you out of the lineup tonight. And uh, I said, why? And he goes, I got to fucking play Susie. You know, he had that Boston accent. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and he said, what did he say to me? He said, I don't give a fuck. He says, I'm not border. He says, I'm fucking borderline fucking alcoholic. He said, I don't want to take you out of the lineup. But he says, I got to play fucking Susie. You know, he kills penalties. He blocks shots. He does it. And I said, I get it. And he says, I can tell you right now, though, I'm pregame scared. If you want to kick the shit out of Petrovicki, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't think he'd remember that. I don't, and, he, and he didn't disrespect Petrovic. Yeah, but of course. That was his first year. He was a really good, talented player. And he, had, and he was kind of probably being forced to play him. So he had to take me out of the lineup. But I can remember that conversation. I said, if that isn't the realest conversation you've ever had with a coach. Yeah. And I think I've literally had the same thing near the end of mine. You know, you're sitting there trying to take a an older guy out of the lineup or something. And you're going, yeah, oh, geez, I don't want to do this to you, man. But I got to I just felt like Jay Leach, you know. But again, he had he had some great lines too. And if I can take one more, he said, "Yeah, we had a I don't know the game before that. Whoever was on my line, we had a decent game." And he said, uh, "We were wearing the yellow jerseys, and we used to call them the goal line." And everybody used to say it. And I, he said, "Okay, everybody down there." And I said, "I just joke with him." And I said, "Fuck, where do you want the gold line?" 
and he's right in the middle, like not one guy had left the circle. He goes, what the fuck are you talking about? Gold. <laughs> Try urine. <laughs> Gold is the urine color. And then that Boston accent. Yeah. So that, honestly, that actually stuck. Because I can remember Corey Bolio always, whether I was on whatever line, I still had a yellow jersey in my stall, a urine-colored jersey in my stall every game, every <laughs> practice. Uh, and I got to say, you know, for the most part, you made your bones in the Quebec organization and one of your teammates made his bones with, with the Philadelphia organization. But um, two guys on the same team that had really good post playing careers in coaching yourself, which we'll get into. And you played with John Stevens, who, who's had a really good career as a coach. Johnny is probably one of the guys that I, again, you can talk all this time. I never even thought of him, but. I've kept in contact with Johnny. Johnny's been a real help to me in coaching. When I was coaching, you know, helping me with his systems and just talking and so forth like that. Um, he he sent me a couple of poems and so forth about you know playing for your family and um, John 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 Stevens made a, a very positive impact in my life um, when things weren't good you could lean on him, but you just, the day, way he attack, he addresses every day, the way he addresses his life, you know, and he's the same age as me. You know, I kind of felt I was off the rails a little bit, or, you know, I was, didn't have a plan. He always seemed to have that. And, and I, I traveled with him a lot, hung out with him a lot. And I, I got nothing but good things to say about him. He, he truly is a leader and a, and a guy with a ton of integrity. Yeah. Um, going back to your battles, when you're a Quebec uh, guy that played for the Bruins, Nevin Marquardt, he was in the middle of those Quebec Bruins battles too. Now you find yourself sharing a locker room with him. What was it like playing with Nevin? I remember with Nevin, the most thing I remember with him was I knew I was kind of fading in my career and he was getting into investing money. Mm -hmm. I remember Nevin, he probably wouldn't remember, but there were times he just sat there and was trying to explain to me how the markets react and, I hope a lot of people don't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told you I'm not Joe Rogan or Paul Bissonnette, so you yeah, won't get those numbers. Trevor Steinberg watching the markets, so I <laughs> anybody puke. Um, no, he did. He did. He 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 was just yeah. He's just. I mean, I remember he was a bit of a rat out in the ice and yeah. so forth, but kind of a quiet guy. He just mm. sat and we just talked about that stuff. But that's really all I remember about him, other than the fact that. When he was with Boston, I remember him as a real shit disturber. Now, you uh, made mention of this player earlier, and you and I have discussed him uh, off the phone here. Um, but I know uh, amongst the players that you've played with in your life, um, he ranks up very high as far as the pranks go, and that's Barry Nykar. Uh Why don't you give us some uh, some Barry Nykar stuff as far as the prankster? Well, Nike would uh, – he was my roommate – he always like he just he'd pull a prank when people were around and then he he'd get the laugh. But it'd be something like put, you know, garlic or something in his on your flipper on your mouth or with your toothbrush, and then it'd be just little stuff and he'd be pissing himself laughing all the time. But I always just said that he like don't do that because I'm going to take an elephant gun to kill a mouse, Nike, and I really am. So, you know, shit I do, just put a dead fish in under his hood of his car or something. You know what I mean? Like, just obviously just 
you, you, what you're basically trying to do is to say, don't mess with me. You know, like you're, you're new into this. I've been around just cause I don't do something every day, but you know, I can remember the one day I came into the dressing room and I, I always went early. So I went and I rode the bike I came back out. I went to grab my sticks cause we were going to another rink. Well, lucky for me, I grabbed the stick right at the hosel. Well, I could feel it was warm. So I knew at that point, jackass had come in, <laughs> heated it up, pulled it out. You know what he did? He saw he saw halfway through the plug. Mm-hmm. And then I go. So I quickly, literally just told one of the guys, I said, you know, can you change my blade so it doesn't look like I am? And I went and did the same thing. But he did one of my sticks. I just did all three of his. <laughs> We went all the way to this fucking rink way across town. And sure enough, he's sitting there and I took the stick that we, that he did. Mm-hmm. And I hollered down on it and broke it on purpose. And then I kind of fell a little bit and fuck, he was crying, laughing. Like, and, and, and I already told the guys half them anyways. I said, he's dumb. I'm going to play into it. He's going to break this. I'm going to let him get his laugh. And then I'm going to go, who the hell got me? He'll be laughing. I'll go, you got me. Well, fuck, he did that. Well, practice didn't go really as well. I did it, but the coach was in a very good mood at that point after got into practice. Well, he had three of his sticks like that. So right in, as soon as it, he got into the shooting, basically but all three of his sticks broke. He was pissed, but the coach was pissed at him. Like oh. he was like, guys are, yeah. So it kind of, it certainly backfired on him. But yeah, I can say that night, was a king of little jokes and stuff, but I can say that I played with him in his first year. Yeah. I I, I think I won that. Like hands, <laughs> hands, hands down. But it was kind of funny because he really wasn't that year. He struggled in a lot of his fights. Mm-hmm. And I always used to joke because he'd struggle in a fight. Well, then that would get the shit kicked out of me because he's bigger and stronger than me. You know, he'd go after Banksy. Banksy mm-hmm. kicked the shit out of him. You know, somebody else did. He slipped and fell. Well, he's just like a baby moose at that point. Right. And I'd retired after that, but he was a wonderful guy. But, man, he ended up being a complete heavyweight. Like, yeah. I mean, he was tough. He was so big, so strong. His arms, his arms were like, ex- had extensions on them. Yeah. But he is a perfect example of a guy that just, he needed to get his nose busted a couple times. And then he, I don't know what came over him, but I can remember him in the American league after that. And I was really proud of him because he just, he was a heavyweight man. Yeah. He was a heavyweight, but he, one of the nicest human beings. And I actually talked to him a couple, couple years ago. Um, he's back, I think out in the Edmonton area, but again, just a solid guy and a guy that probably didn't even necessarily like doing what he did. He's such a nice guy, but man, was he tough after a while. For a guy that liked to do the pranks, it doesn't sound like he had a very good poker face. It sounded like he couldn't control his giggling. Well, he, he, he might have been when he got older, but yeah. no. In fact, <laughs> in fact, I know that if I was sitting in the dressing room that day, in hindsight, if I had just stared at him and started smiling, yeah. he probably would have laughed and go, oh, you know I did it. <laughs> no, Nike wasn't a guy to pull that shit up. Not in his first couple of years. In fact, he took the brunt of it, I would think. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, he tried to to be the prankster. Uh, One of your teammates uh, from that year, I did reach out to him 
see if he had anything, uh, any good stories, any funny stories. And that's the aforementioned Corey Bolio. Uh, he said, I'm not exactly sure if I have any funny stories that I can remember, but all I can say is that having played against him, he was an honest player that stood up for his teammates. Playing with him was a joy. He's a stand-up dude, and to this day is still the same stand-up man. Love this guy like a brother. So that's that's always nice to hear from a guy that you battled with and then played with. I have, you know, Bah. Bah's had his, yep. his share of tough times, but yep. he's a very, very loyal guy. Um, he's made a few mistakes in his life, but, I mean, how do you I, – I, I can go to bat. I have a picture in my phone of him – where he looks like he got hit by a bus, his face. And to me, that's, that's just, he was probably his proudest moment. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he had no quit in him. He fought everybody. He fought anybody. And, you know, you could be going with him and, you know, whatever. If he thought that he, you know, cut you or something, if he said, stop, I've seen him stop. You know what I mean? He just wanted to win the fight. He didn't want to embarrass anybody, but he was, he was a very tough tough kid and man could he could he block shots body check and he'd do anything for a teammate he'd do more for a teammate than he would himself yeah yeah i've heard that i've heard that you're not the only one that said that so uh so that's probably surprised. the best way and you could say that sarcastically you could say it in a mean way mm-hmm. but that's what he he would he truly would he'd take better care of you than he would himself he yeah he, he's i got a lot of time for him and like you say he was a true warrior yeah so that season, your first year in Springfield, you're playing with guys like Brian Chapman, Corey Bolio, Chief Daniels, uh, John Stevens, mentioned Barry Nightcar, Nevin Marquardt, uh, a young Joe Day. You led the team in penalty minutes, 244 minutes with that crew. Uh, so you were still a little active. Now, there's a couple of guys here. Uh, not sure if you, we already talked about your uh, your battle with Jerry St. Cyr. That was actually a rematch. It actually fought him earlier in the year. Uh, when he he was in New Haven, both fights and everything. A guy that you fought that year, uh, whenever I think of this guy, and I don't know if the fight was much, but you played against him a bunch. I just think of Sandpaper, and that's Rob Murray, who was with Moncton at the time. Uh, what was it like to play against Rob Murray? Well, he's he's gritty little bastard, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I don't mean to say he was little. I just remember I was taller than him. Yeah. But you, yeah, you you don't take a night off against him, and you never take him lightly. I don't necessarily remember fighting him, yeah, but I do remember him, and I actually I knew him a little bit. I'd met him somewhere, but it didn't matter. Once you're on the ice, I can remember, you know, you know, maybe seeing him after the game and how you doing, shaking hands. But you know, during the game, he wanted no part of, you know, he was he's he had his game face on. So I think he played for Moncton. Yeah, he was at Moncton at the time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can remember him, him and a guy, Jerry Levins, and there was a couple guys there I can remember. the, But that was going back after yeah. I was in the States, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a selfish one because I'm a big fan of this player. Um, so you went you went with Jerry twice with New Haven. I think you fought Greg Pankowitz uh, once. But to me, their toughest player was Mark LaBelle, uh, someone who, who made his bones in the Canadians organization. I don't know if you remember fighting Mark, but I, selfishly I have to ask if you do. I don't. You're going to tell me about it, so go ahead. No, no, I don't. I don't. Unfortunately, um, I don't have it on. I don't have it on video. So I was just curious. So. I, I, I don't remember it to tell you. Yeah. You know, some. This is this is almost disturbing. I, I mean, I'm, anybody, if there is anybody that listens to this, they're going to go. He doesn't remember much. 
there's a lot you don't remember. I mean, there's, I mean, I'm a, you know, six fifty seven, so it was a long time ago. Yeah. But some shit I remember way too vividly. <laughs> well, I got, <laughs> I got one you got to remember. The next one, if you don't remember this one, I'll be a little nervous. But you didn't only get suspended uh, for the incident with Jerry Saint Cyr. You also got suspended six games for punching Daryl Ray after a game. And Daryl Ray received three games. Uh, you remember that? No. Daryl Ray, was it in New Haven? Maybe that was New Haven. Cause he, was he your goalie? No, he was. Uh, was he your goalie in Springfield? No. No, I'm trying to think of where he would have played. I punched Daryl. He was a goalie, and I punched yeah. him. Yeah, it's on what, the ice or was it on the bench? Where was it? No, I think it was after the whistle, after the the horn. That's what I read in the papers. So I don't know, but if you don't remember that, I mean, listen, it, you know, it wasn't like it was a toe to toe brawl, but you did get six games for punching him. You probably stopped me at a breakaway. That just pisses me off. <laughs> well, but Daryl Ray is also one of the great characters of of the game, so he might have had something clever to say too. Yeah, there was there was a lot of yeah. You could have thrown the odd dagger at me that would have would have ouched me. Yeah, <laughs> if you got shitty hands, time we're gonna lose it. <laughs> yeah, god damn it, I don't remember that either. I remember the Saint Cyr fight yep. in the six games, but punching a goalie. I mean, listen, it, it's not often that a player who who plays physical punches a goalie. Chances are he deserved it. I'm going to guarantee that he's, he wouldn't have said anything. He must have given me the, you know, stick up the groin or something. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, because I mean, the, the, the repercussions for that are not usually good either. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's something he must have done because that doesn't, it doesn't seem like what I would do. No. Like I said, he probably had it coming. So, uh, so that yeah, year, <laughs> that year you had a pretty good playoff run. You made it to the semis against Cape Breton. Um, you fought Steve Jakes in the playoffs, and yet actually fought him earlier in the season, and I think you tore some ligaments in your hand. He was a Providence at the time. Yeah, something told me he was kind of a tough, he was smaller tough. guy. Yep, absolutely. Yep, that's him. Jakes, J-A-Q-U-E-S. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, very tough guy. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And then there was another guy, Woods, that I fought that I thought was pretty tough, too. I think that was the next season. That was next season. But you did fight someone twice in the playoffs that I think you might remember. Uh, Kirk Tomlinson, who was with Adirondack. Now, Adirondack was loaded. Uh, You ended up fighting him twice. I don't know if you remember those. Yeah, I remember fighting Tom. Or Tom lives in Halifax area, and I remember telling him. I remember a fight very distinctively because we squared off. It was in Springfield, and it was it, it, it was a good fight. And I just remember he used to roll his sleeves really way up, and I, I don't know what happened, but he grazed me, and I can remember his sweater going straight across my eye. I thought it was fucking blind. Yeah. Like, I, I really thought something had happened, and I panicked. As soon as he did that, I just stopped, and I was like, my eye. Yeah. He stopped. He was more concerned than I was. Yeah. And I thought, Kurt Tomlinson, this, that didn't fit that. Because I didn't think of him as that player. I thought, Jesus Christ, I better be able to close my eyes and find a way to fight and control this guy. 
he stopped. Yeah, all right, called the ref in. And yeah, I didn't, I actually had to put a patch on my eye for a couple of days, but just kind of taking the film off it or the membrane off it. But I, again, again, that's kind of one of those other Fletcher incidences where I just yeah. think there's a code there and, you know, he did, he, he could have stopped, but he could have waited till he had about three more shots in and decisively won it. He quit as soon as, as soon as I felt that my, you know, I panicked a little bit with them, with my eye. Um, following season is your ends up being your last year in training camp again Hartford the the invite list for Hartford like I asked you about a couple of guys that uh the year before now this year um a couple of names I want to ask you about and I don't think two of these guys ended up sticking with Springfield at all uh one of them went on to play in the NHL with Montreal a very young Dave Moose Marset do you remember him from camp at all (laughs) Marset, no. Uh, no. How about Howie Rosenblatt? Nickname is the legend. Rosenblatt, I remember the name, but if it was my last year, I was probably not in Hartford for that long. Yeah, would have gotten right down, so he might have stayed up. And well, you know. actually may have played against him. He spent some time in Providence, so that you may know that name from Providence. The name rings a bell for sure. It does. I still remember more. I still remember. Uh, banks and those names more than anything. But, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the last name I want to ask you about a guy who had a pretty lengthy NHL career, um, and I don't even think he. I think he might have went to camp with Hartford and then called it a day. Was Jay Caulfield? You remember Jay? Used to be with Pittsburgh. Big, big huge guy. Huge guy. Yeah, look like look more like a football player. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah, and he there was no run-ins though. He yeah. was, you know, he 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 was at that point fighting for the jobs up there. But <clears throat> I do believe I met him. I yeah, because he was such a huge guy. Yeah. Uh, so two guys I want to ask you about in Springfield. Now they they weren't there long. A one, and we're talking about opposite ends of the spectrum. So we'll go on the young side first. Um, a young Ryan Vandenbush played a handful of games in your last year in Springfield. Do you remember that? remember it really well this guy came in dapper little dressed guy you know had the kind of kind of reminded me of the short suits like a kind of a waist and red shoes i mean he just looked like a dapper little guy that was <laughs> trying to find himself in the fashion world and i think he's one of the few guys that after i saw him fight i i literally i think we're just sitting in the dressing room there might have been a handful of half a dozen guys sitting in the dressing room. And I can just remember looking at him. I said, Bushy, if I were looking at you on the street, on the ice, and I didn't know you, there would be no fear. No fear. When I look at you, I just do not get intimidated. I said, I would be terrified to fight you. you he was <laughs> A goddamn killer, man. Yeah. Like, he could throw both hands. Mm-hmm. He never got tied up. He just never wanted to, you know, just when I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, these guys must be dead tired. They tie up. It's going to come to an end. You know, you'd see him looking at the ref, shaking his head, to keep him going. Pound for pound, I don't know if there are many tougher than him. No, he's and a good guy, like yeah. humble, mm-hmm. like truly nice guy, truly a really, really compassionate, really nice guy off the ice. Yeah, a few years later, you, maybe you're lucky you got out when you did. You have the 
you know, Binghamton had guys like Vandenbush, Eric Cairns, Darren Langdon, <laughs> had all, you know, Fiorentino was always there. It seemed like, uh, you know. Fiorentino, I remember fighting him a few times. Yep, you fought him he was, a few yeah. times. He was still yeah. there. So, that yeah. That was a tough little rink to go into on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, and then on the opposite end of the Ryan Vandenbush spectrum is a guy who's been through the wars. I mean, old Norris division guy, uh, pretty much last stop in his career is Bob McGill. Bobby McGill, same thing. <coughs> he came down. He came down. I don't even know why he was down. I really don't. He walked in, man. And he just, I loved him. And as soon as he came in the dressing room, he had the mullet. He had the side shaved on the head he had the handlebar mustache i think leather pants <laughs> and i i was a guy that couldn't i was joking all the time like i'd make fun of you you had leather pants on shit i can remember going you know joking with him when i got thinking fuck if he takes this the wrong way but i'm dead <laughs> but yeah i can remember asking if i could wear the pants and stuff and you know and he was a good guy but yeah. he came down and like he didn't just go through the motions. I mean, he, he had a couple fights down there, took the guys out. He was, he was aces, you know, when I, and again, unbelievably tough, like just a great, just pure fighter. But I think that he didn't come down with an attitude in any way, shape or form. Like we were joking with him, making fun of his pants and stuff. And when at the same time, complete respect. Right. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I can remember both of them. So your final year, Springfield, uh, you had mentioned um, you fought uh, Mark Major, pretty big dude there. Uh, I think you also fought a guy on his team that was maybe even bigger than him, the defenseman Bill Armstrong, the guy who's in charge of uh, Arizona now. Do you remember fighting him? Yeah, I met Bill the other uh, – I met Bill in Gatineau. Uh, I was there scouting a game for – well, for Seattle, and he was there, and I had the – I got a chat. I actually joked with him. I said, you – I said, you owe me. I said, I think you ended my career. <laughs> I think I had an okay fight with him, but yeah. um, the last fight that I had, yeah, I can remember I wasn't, I didn't have a shift the whole game. And I don't know, probably late in the second period, um, Joel put me out on the ice. I can remember because Ivan Corvo was on the bench. I remember we were in our white jerseys and I got off. And as soon as I stepped on, I, you know, there's, wasn't like I was going to stretch and get my legs and groins going. I knew I was what I was going to do. So I just tapped Mark and he obliged. So when the, when the puck dropped, we were right at the bench. And I, I always used to try and just get a little piece of the Jersey and then try and knock him off balance. Well, whatever I tried to do didn't work. And he fed me like there's nothing I could do because he, he'd gotten me. I'd missed him he had a bigger reach and he was just throwing Yeah, and he caught me in the face and my helmet went straight up in the air. I can remember that watching on the thing, but I didn't realize how hard he'd hit me or he caught me so flush on the side of the nose that I, I knew I was bleeding. I knew I was a little messed up. I could tell cause I couldn't see very well. So I had him in the headlock over the boards and the refs were trying to break us up and so forth. When I, but as I was breathing, I was so tired. All I looked up and I went, oh, freak. all my teammates were all being sprayed with blood. Oh, shit. It was me breathing. So I thought my nose was breathing. So I took 
I reached down and I grabbed a water bottle while I had him in the headlock mm-hmm. and I sprayed my face off. And uh, the reason I had to do it was because Ivan Korovo, he put a towel over my face because I was bleeding that bad mm-hmm. and I couldn't breathe. So I had to almost mm-hmm. punch Ike away, grabbed the water bottle, sprayed my face. And I was thinking all the blood would go away. Right? I thought, <laughs> okay. So then I threw my head back up and like said, okay, you know, let's, let's yeah. go, let's go to the penalty box. Well, holy fuck. I mean, the whole bench was grabbing my face, grabbing towels, you know, Mark major got right out of there, the refs. And here I was down the hallway, just spilling it everywhere. So it was in the second, I don't think in the third period, they still hadn't got the bleeding stop. So I was on the bench and it was just everywhere. Had to cut five inside and eight outside. Wow. But uh, you know, and I think I said this to you before, you know, you've, got the shit beat out of you when I had a couple good friends on the other team. I think it was Providence. It was yeah. Ken Hammond and a bunch of these guys. I lived with his older brother and junior. And like, I literally, I was just kind of getting ready to come out of the dressing room at the end of the game and go home. And these guys are all kind of walked down to the dressing room, about five of them on the other team to see, see how I was. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt a, some respect a little bit, but, I didn't play for a while after that. And the next day I was, went to the rink and just, I don't know, ice my face, I guess, but there was still like a mess of blood on the, you know, in the hallway going down and so forth. But yeah, it was, it was not the way I wanted to end it, but at the yeah. same time, you know, it's probably the one I talk about the most because I just got absolutely fed and, I actually did play about three games afterwards, and I actually tried to fight Mark Major in Providence. And I said, "You gotta, you gotta, you gotta do this." And he looked at me as, "I don't gotta do nothing." And he skated away. <laughs> and I, I was, yeah, I think I was, I was relieved. I just thought to myself, "Fuck, I, that wasn't the way I wanted to do it." But you know, at the same time, it was the most talked about fight I've had in a lot of times. So it, it is what it is, and. You know, I don't know Mark Major from a hole in the ground, but I do know that he's a big guy and he had a long reach, oh, longer yeah. than mine. Absolutely. So. You know, I don't know if you remember, you actually did have two fights after that fight. That wasn't your last fight. You fought two guys on Cornwall, Paul Brousseau and Mark Mattier. That would, those were both after the Major fight, so you still had a couple after that one. Maybe Mark Major did more damage than he thought. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't even remember that. I don't even remember playing Cornwall. I thought that was kind of the end of it. I well, I yeah. I mean, neither one of those guys are are. I think Mattier scrapped a bit. I don't think Brousseau scrapped that much. I think Mattier's. I think he's probably well, maybe in my mind, I think he's most famous for. I think he got uh, one of his trades was for Killer, so uh, that's what I remember him for. But um, there was one fight I wanted to ask you about, and I know some of these suspensions you're you're a little sketchy on, but. Apparently that November of the beginning of the year, another game against Providence, you fought Mark Bavis, and you ended up getting a one-game suspension. They said you attempted to kick him. Do you remember that? Absolutely not. No. Okay. All right. No. Um, you know something though, I can uh, you say that like when you say kicking, I uh, well, that's why I said they said you attempted to kick him. I, I don't see you doing that. You know, I can honestly probably say and probably 
if he did something really bad, but I mean, it would depend on if I was, you know, kicking him in the back of the leg or whatever, but I, I, I just not with my blade. I would just right. wouldn't, right. I just wouldn't. I, I, the only reason I can say this is I, I always feel that I always wrote my script and I never completely went off of it. I did some things I didn't like, but I don't ever remember like being able to say, cause I could see myself saying I actually kicked the guy, you know what I mean? I just, that doesn't sit well with me. No. And that's why I said, you know, I don't have video of it. It's just something I read and, you know, you got suspended. Listen, I think if you really tried to kick a guy, whether it was at the blade or with, you know, the toe or the, the heel of the skate, you'd probably get more than one game. Cause I could do a lot of damage. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was going to say a, a kicking motion. Yeah. If it was that obvious, it probably would have been more than one, but right. you just, you know, if it was probably just a disrespect thing, Yeah. if it was a message, mm-hmm. you know, like I say, I've, I never necessarily gouged a guy either, but I've certainly put my fingers firmly on an eyeball and let him know what I could have done, but I wouldn't have done it. You know right. what I mean? I just, that's, yeah. So, um, I, <laughs> maybe the major fight had, had a little to do with it, but what ultimately led to your decision to retire? I just didn't feel, um, I was pretty beat up. I mean, at that point, I, I, I mean, I had a shoulder a shoulder, a career ending shoulder and knee, mm-hmm. which those, that card could have been played even a year ago or even before that with the knee, but you always just find a way to, to get through. And then you don't really realize unless something's taken away from you really quick. Sometimes you don't really realize how badly you're fading. Mm-hmm. And I just looked at my numbers. I mean, Jesus, I mean, four goals, you know, I should have been probably less penalty minutes, a few more goals at that point, but I was slowing down and my body was just failing. I remember, I think I, I hurt my ribs that year as well. The shoulder, I'd had too many cortisone shots and my knee just was completely failing. And like I say, right now, I'm just basically waiting for knee replacement. So when I've had both my knees done to the point where that's my next option for them. So um, I probably... I'm glad I didn't, but I probably could have retired earlier if you're just talking about common sense. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't. I don't love-hate relationship at the end because I just needed to be a part of that. I, it didn't matter really my role. I think I just needed I just needed a role on the team at that point. I would have been happy. I just didn't think I was fulfilling it. So is that maybe part of what led you uh, into coaching, that you wanted to be a part of the team? Was that uh, a part of it? Um, I, I think, uh, I, I don't really remember too much. I remember coaching at Dow as an assistant coach uh-huh. and I remember Daryl Young, who's my, my son's, uh, represents my son now. Um, you know, he just was like, holy shit. Like, you know, you're way over the top energy, you know, dial it down. And so I still felt like a player at that point. I, I hadn't, I didn't want to give it up, but I, my body had obviously just let me down. So um, the coaching I got into it just because I just want to be around the rink again, I guess, just be a part of something, you know, see the guys, you know, you remember talking the stories and everything and, you know, trying to go to war with the guys, you know, win games and stuff. So I slowly got into it and I never got into it to, to on a permanent basis, I don't think. And then once I got into university, I just, it's like a, constant cycle kids come in and you know you i always say the junior kids always come in like they're they're all a bunch of entitled jackasses (laughs) 
And then, you know, by two or three years into it, you're just looking at these guys and going, these guys are A students. They're in their community. They're doing work. They're, they're not talking about this desire to have to go play pro anymore. They're talking about the rest of their lives and what they want to do with it. So I just, I, that builds a momentum in you. And you just, you feel like you're actually helping the kids and through hockey. And I think that's why I got into that for 23 years and I, I couldn't get out. It was, it was just kept feeding my, what I wanted to do. Well, couldn't get out is an understatement. And before we get into that legendary run that you had at university, um, after your season as the assistant coach in Dalhousie in 96, 97. So I've seen, I've seen both teams listed, but I'm not sure which is true. I've seen it said you were the head coach of the Coal Harbor Colts. And then I saw you were a head coach of the East Hans Penguins, which, which it is was it? East Hans Penguins. Okay. It was, that was the team. The Colts had moved. Okay. I took over that team tier two team, um, East Colts Penguins mm-hmm. for one year. Um, I couldn't go back. It, like the team was, on the verge of, of, of basically bankruptcy all the time. I mean, I, I'm so thankful for the, for the people that, that, that ran that organization to keep it afloat. We had a good team. We had a good bunch of kids, just what I thought was riffraff. And it's just kind of a neat little experience. But at one point I had David Oliver. I was going to ask team. you about David Oliver. And it's someone else you're probably going to mention. Go ahead. Kevin Tasker. Ken Tasker. Those are the Eddie two Kevin guys. Tasker. I was going to ask you about um, both of those boys. I um, I was so so bent on trying to make teach these guys to be better hockey players. I wouldn't let them fight. So I drove Kenny Tasker to the rink every day, and David Oliver and I were just like like father son. You know, I just if you want to play, David, you can't do this. You, they're both okay players, mm-hmm. but. I don't think I had, knew what I actually had in my hands here, but these guys, <laughs> and one night I let them go and we were playing a team, a local team, Dartmouth and Jim Bottomley, who was a icon of a guy here, of a coach, coach junior and was always known for the brawls and everything. And he'd, uh, he'd gone to Ontario and picked up a whole bunch of guys to come in and start a war. And I can remember looking over at David Oliver on a face off and we'd won the game and David Oliver would not fight. And Kenny Tasker would not fight. And finally, I just said, go. Mm-hmm. Oh, proudest <laughs> moment of my life. Like, it was just, like, you know, it's just like unleash the hounds. But these guys were super guys, um, respectful. They both went on and played pro. Yep. They were both warriors. Uh, and there were a whole bunch of guys on the team that still live in this general area that have done really well. And they just started a group chat. And I got on it and it was kind of a really funny, you know, I can remember one kid, this Andrew Goche kid. I remember he was minus and I just, he came off the bench. And at that point I just, one year out of playing, I tore a strip off him. Like I thought he thought I was going to kill him. And he, I said, what, what was your problem? How could you let that guy go? And he goes, coach, I was pooped right out. (laughs) And this kid was a dirty player, you know, chintzy little guy six maybe 511 160 and i thought to myself okay i gotta dial it down a little bit here but what a great bunch of kids they were and i had a lot of fun with them and then um knowing i couldn't go back i put my name in for the saint mary's job and i didn't get it like another guy got it and jim bottomley and the president said we don't want that guy you know because of his reputation so i just got it by default so i literally got a 23 year job 
then I wasn't even their first choice. Like I was not their first choice. Yeah. So kind of neat. Well, <clears throat> before I get into some of your accolades there, uh, you did coach a player at St. Mary's. We already, so did you bring David Oliver with you to St. Mary's? Yeah. He only lasted a year, but you know, and he went and played pro, but you know, he yeah. wasn't, he was a lobster fisherman. He wasn't going to school. Yeah. Hardest thing he ever did was tell me he wasn't coming back, but I, you know, it was no problem. He, he left and I, I still keep in contact with him. He's just a saint of a guy. Yeah, and for those of you listening, this is not the David Oliver who played uh, some games at Edmonton. This is David Oliver, tough, tough guy. Uh, if you look for him on YouTube, if there's any fights of his on YouTube, it's probably from his stint with uh, the Hartford Wolfpack. So, uh, so it's not it's not that David Oliver. It's the tough David Oliver. So just just for some clarification, you you also coached the guy who had a pretty good pro career, Dougie Dowell. Just going to say, I'm yeah. just going to bring Dougie up. Man. Yeah. I've talked to Dougie a few times in the last week. Just, you know, he's he's like the wind. He's in and out, you know, and every once in a while he'll just send me a, a little video of his son, Joe, down with rollerblades on, crushing the folding doors to the closet. <laughs> and the kid has no chance at anything in life unless it's going to be a power forward or a stay-at-home cement head defenseman. <laughs> But this kid has got to be tough. I mean, it's Doug's only kid. Dougie is a family guy, but Dougie is wired Cape Breton style, man. Like, he's his old man's a horse farmer from Cape Breton. He's a he's a tough nut, man. I love Dougie. He's, he is one tough guy. He, he, I saw the first game I ever coached, he got in a fight. You're not even allowed to fight, but he, he, tur- he, he tied a guy up and beat him up so bad, and then he just stopped for good measure, uh, a game we played in uh, Moncton, an exhibition game. But tough guy, he went on to play, Kept he kept in touch with me, and still does. So I got nothing. And he's a good hockey guy, very good hockey guy. I always try to – and I, I'm afraid I'm not going to get all your awards here. I, I'm so, I hope I didn't miss anything. So the year that you coached, you coached uh, East Hans, uh, you were the coach of the year. Then you go to St. Mary's and you – you begin this run that, and you may not want to say it, but I'm sure a lot of your players and people with the school would, would agree. It's just this legendary run that you had. It's, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know much about Canadian university. Uh, I, I know about Claire Drake, actually. I think we mentioned it. I, I, I learned about him from Brent Severin. Uh, I know he's a legendary uh, university coach. Uh, you may not say that you should be mentioned with him, but but your accolades may say different. I got um, you. Tell me if I have this right. CIAU Coach of the Year, ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety eight, ninety nine. Uh, AUAA Coach of the Year, ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety eight, ninety nine. Uh, silver medal at the two thousand one World University Games. And then did did Saint Mar- uh, Saint Mary's change um, conference or division in uh, after two thousand two thousand one? Because then uh, it's it's listed as CIS, and I'm not that familiar yeah, with the uh, changes Canadian uh, intercollegiate sport. Yeah, they just changed the title of the league. Basically, now it's CI it's CIS. It used to be, uh, yeah, it's, it's had a few different names. So those are only some of the accolades. Um, what, when once it switched to CIS, just whatever the timing, you know, different different name, whatever. Uh, you coached one of the more interesting stories in hockey in the last twenty thirty years, uh, Mike Danton, who uh, was Mike Jefferson. 
Um, and from what I read, well, for those who don't know, uh, he was in prison for hiring a hitman to kill his former agent, David Frost. That's what was said in the beginning. And I think Mike later admitted that the target was actually his father. Um, but his tenure at your university actually started with him writing you a letter, correct? Yeah, he wrote a letter wanting to put, wanting to know if there was any option for him to play. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a funny time of year because we had a really good hockey team, but we weren't really playing that well. Mm-hmm. And again, to give you a little bit of hindsight or back information, my father was a, was the former. Oh, he's an ordained minister. He's, well, he's passed since. But he was the chapel um, chaplain at the penitentiary in Collins Bay in Kingston. Okay. He then went on to be a senior member of the National Parole Board. And what that would basically mean was um, anybody that was done hard time would go up in front of him in a panel, maybe two or three, and get paroled. You know, So some of the sickest crimes you'd had, if, if there was an opportunity for parole, he'd come up in front of my father or somebody so when this first happened, <clears throat> first I didn't think anything of it because I watched Barry come into town at the Memorial Cup years before that where he was on. Yeah. And <clears throat> I, I can honestly say that the whole team acted like a complete bunch of assholes. Mm-hmm. It was completely disrespectful. They should have been – I it made me sick. Mm-hmm. So my taste wasn't good. So I remember sitting in the dressing room and – one day and talking to Mark Rancourt and a couple of the guys, and I said, I, you know, I believe what I got a call note the other day. And I said, this kid's in prison, just got out and he wants to come and play hockey. And Mark Rancourt, who was my captain at the time and um, legend, if you may, as far as his integrity and so forth goes, he said, well, let's, you know, wouldn't that be interesting if we could help him, you know? It's not like it's that glamorous, you know what I mean? And I, you know, I can remember saying I wouldn't have that guy on my team, this and this and this. And he said, he's kind of paid his price. He's done this. So I kind of let it go. I, I, and when I talked to my dad about it, my dad said, well, he said, Trevor, you, you know, you've got to do what you do. This is your career. And he said, this is a, this could be a turning point. But he said, I, I just want to remind you that you came from a family that's about rehabilitation and forgiveness. And I can remember probably, I, I, I can remember saying, yeah, yeah, dad. I probably said, dad, yeah, like you paroled everybody, didn't you? <laughs> you know, and I had a pretty good relationship at that point. So I kind of do the set a little bit more to my dad, but as it sunk in, we, the players came and we talked and so forth. And I, so I phoned my dad back up again and he's, I said, well, he doesn't deserve to play. I said, you know, you sure he can go to school, but I said, you know, what's that have to do with putting him on the ice? You know what I mean? And, and my dad kind of said, well, as this guy's done his time, he's been punished. He's done hard time. In fact, you probably have no idea what this guy's gone through. And he said, so are you try?" He literally said this. He said, are you telling me then that if this had no, if this guy was just a guy that was an artist and likes to draw, that when he gets out of prison, that we should take his, his, his pencils away from him? And that hit me just like it, yeah. it really, really hit me that when you're trying to rehab somebody after they've been punished, I mean, you certainly put rules up, you put constraints up, you put steps, you put all those things in, but you don't take away something that they love to do. And that weighed on me. And then it just, it just, the players then became 
you know, well, you're always talking, you know, you send guys off to Uganda and you pay for it and do all these great things. Well, you know, the program did and you do all this extra stuff. Well, isn't this another sign of a good gesture? So that's how it picked up the speed. The players convinced me um, to do this. And as it picked up speed, my dad gave me a little bit more advice and so forth like that. And um, I don't really care what anybody thinks. I mean, it was successful because he's got his PhD in psychology. You're going to be getting it soon from UMB. He's got three kids. I mean, he's rough around the edges, but you know, he's not going to, he's not going to break the law anymore. You know what I mean? I, and I, I, he's, he's, he's a trustworthy guy. Um, he's a little outspoken, but you know, something, so what, you know, and I, I respect a lot of things that he does speak out for, but you know, he did not, uh, he did not blemish our championship. Um, he, if anything, he served as a reminder of how hard it, you have to work to play in the NHL because he wasn't even remotely one of our better players. But what he, when he came and he worked, he, you, you knew he had been in the NHL. You knew he had been in some, faced some adversity in his life. And he was a, he was a, he was a loyal teammate. And I would think based on his on ice experience, forget about the off ice stuff. Um, what he had what he had done up to that point on the ice he's the kind of guy you don't need to put a letter on his jersey uh, guys will just look up to him automatically because i'm sure some guys are playing hockey in school but they're going to school for something else but there i'm sure there are players that aspire to play pro or, or ultimately would love to have played pro and here's a guy that actually played in the nhl so i think immediately he comes in with that credibility that you know younger players are going to look up to him yeah, and, and, and I, I don't even know if the guys as much looked up to him. Well, they did. They, it was a, I think they respected the hell out of a guy that, you know, I won't lie, half the guys just said, Jesus, why don't we just write a book and make a couple million dollars? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, um, Mike was a guy that was, he was an open book, for sure. Um, he really, he yeah, I mean, this wasn't glamorous for him. I mean, like, uh, there's some guys that think, you know, they'd probably rather go to jail than to school, you know, to, to try to get a degree. Yeah. But he went and did it. He was committed to it. He was a good team player. Um, I do remember the day of the, the day of the, <clears throat> we were in Thunder Bay and it was warm up. It was pregame before we, our final game against U of A. And, uh, you know, our dressing room, our trainer done our dressing room, unbelievably, it was incredible. It was so much you know, so many notes and things there on the big piece of Bristol board and on it. It said, uh, you know, a year and a half ago today or a year ago today, I was sitting in a prison cell, um, not even wanting to live this and that, you know, and went on and on and on. And at the bottom of it, you know, he signs, you know, you know, love you guys, Mike Danton. Um, nobody really said anything, you know, we just, sat in the dressing room and um i can remember it wasn't we were sitting down the guys were still standing but it was quiet mm-hmm. and i can remember mark rancourt going up and reading that and i remember him looking around and he goes mike and everybody loved dance or everybody loved mark rancourt and everybody turned around to look because he knew he was probably going to say something and he goes um you didn't necessarily have to sign it we knew it was you 
So I just pissed my pants laughing. <laughs> I was a, a year and a half ago. I was in a federal state penitentiary match. No shit. You didn't have to find it, Mike. And it was like the whole fucking dressing room was just like yeah. crying, laughing before the game. Yeah. But, you know, I think that that's a, that was a real point of pride for our hockey team to be able to take what was a year that we weren't playing well to embrace that, get through it and then win the nationals. And, like I say, we were happy for Mike because I think it started him, but it was, yeah, it was a unique season that we felt we'd accomplished a lot more than just a championship. Well, I'm going to embarrass you more and give give uh, some more of your uh, accolades here. I got you uh, AUS titles in 2001-02, 2008-09, uh, gold medal at the 2007 World University Games, University Cup title in 2010, Coach of the Year again, 2012-13, Google's an interesting thing. When I when I Googled you, I, I, one thing that came up was a quote that's attributed to you. And uh, you could tell me if this is true or not. Uh, Experienced adversity is the first step in the road to success. If you've never been knocked down, how the hell do you expect to get up with any conviction? Is that a Trevor Steinberg original? That uh, would be, yeah, because it's probably not as deep as it should be. I... I Look, I sit up at night trying to write these things to put on T-shirts and stuff for my team. Mm-hmm. You know, I had another one. I said, uh, you know, true leaders are commit themselves and inspire others to uh, go through or to endure great adversity in pursuit of a common goal, like shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I There's just tons of them that I... And none of them are, you know, worthy of being scripted or anything like that, but they mean something to me. And I, I used to put them up for the guys and stuff, but just trying to find something that means something to me, just in my layman's terms of how I, you know, I can remember seeing a lion all beat to hell and, you know, everybody wants to be a beast until you got to do what beasts do. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's so many of those things that they, and I, I know it's a little bit crazy, but honestly, I can, I could sit for hours and, read that shit and try and make it up and define and try and make my own, you know, life experiences into some little slogan that might mean something to somebody. And, um, you know, I got one that, you know, these colors don't run, you know what I mean? And just put your team colors on and stuff. Um, I love reading that stuff. Yeah. Um, like I said, your run. And again, I'm not, I, I don't know much about, Canadian university hockey. Like I, said, I, I know of two coaches, both pretty legendary coaches there. Um, this run that you had, I, I don't know if I could say it was second to none. I mean, you, you'd have to tell me that. Um, what led to your decision to step down? Um, 23 years. I loved it. Um, well, I had, we had the success. We won the nationals and then yeah, I, I, I wasn't easing up a little, you know, I'm very type a and, you know, probably all everything that got me to where I am today. If I thought I was, if I wanted to be a little bit more, I guess, arrogant or confident in myself, I would say, well, if I wasn't like this, I probably would have had a better career in hockey. I probably would have had a better career education-wise. I literally think that I probably needed medication when I was a kid. You know, I was on some pretty. I was pretty emotional. Um, you can ask all the guys that I probably played with. I mean, there's probably some guys that 
really thought to myself, well, he got to be a prick and an asshole or, you know, just too much energy. I had a hard time controlling it a lot of the time. And um, I'm kind of broken where I'm going with this, but I, 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 as a coach, I didn't really settle down. So my first year I was as, as intense my last year, really. And as much as I enjoyed it, I just, it just started getting old a little bit. And, you know, you start, I don't like this. All the kids have changed. They have, they haven't changed necessarily for the worst, but they're changing a way where I thought maybe I wasn't having the same impact. I was, I felt I was apologizing to a lot of my players for being overly aggressive with them or being, now that's probably linked me back to having an incredible relationship with most of them. But you remember, you know, I was extending the olive branch back after I probably was a little bit hard on them. And I just found getting up in the morning was a little harder. So when COVID came, it just seemed like the right time. Um, the program was in good shape, um, had lots of money in the bank. Um, I mean, if I have to be truly honest, I mean, I, I love St. Mary's to death, but, you know, I had a new boss and you know i think he was trying to clip my wings a little bit and you know 23 years there and i wouldn't say i did whatever i wanted but let's just say that <clears throat> there were times when they'd say well this you know the school's hockey program and i can remember saying to the players this isn't st mary's this is mine mm-hmm. and i i meant it i coveted it i loved it and i still do but you know uh, at that point when you're trying to do things that you want to do for it and justified or not they say no we just got to the point where i just felt like i was in a little bit of a i wouldn't say it i, I always joke because i t- eagles and ducks they said i said to my buddies i felt like an eagle in a shoebox <laughs> <laughs> maybe a crow <laughs> <laughs> but I, I loved everybody there i mean i still you know i still talk to the players and uh even the coaches and so forth like that but uh and the alumni and so forth still special but you know, if you, it's, it's a tough place to really write your own script, I guess, if you want university, but the school was good to me for that 23 years. And I, I enjoyed it and learned more about myself and probably corrected a lot of the things, even if it was at the last minute that I wanted to correct about myself. Well, and I, and I think the, the cool thing about coaching, and it doesn't even have to be at the university level, it just so happens in your case, it was, um, the the impact that you'll have on the lives of so many people now you coached 23 seasons at at st mary's you coached a couple of you know maybe 25 26 27 years total that's what 17 18 20 22 kids every season the impact that you've made on so many lives and it's something you may never know but i would imagine over the years the players that you've had Um, and and it's always like, I always say to my kids, like, you may not understand what I'm saying now, but when you have kids, you're going to go, Oh, that's what he was talking about. All right. All right. Now I get it. And I say to them, you may never tell me and and that's okay. But I, I promise you down the road, once you have children, you'll understand some of the things I do now. And for someone like yourself, you have children of your own, but as a coach, you you have touched so many lives and you've taught so many life lessons that all the trophies that you've won, all the awards that you won, 
they're nice. It's it's great to have on a resume and on a website, but it's the intangible stuff. With, and someone like yourself, you made a your NHL career is full of intangibles. Your pro career is full of intangibles. It's those intangibles as a coach that you've touched all these these guys' lives in a positive way. That I guarantee you, there isn't one player that you coach that doesn't take something out of his experience with you in their life every day. You know, when I stepped down, it was quiet. You know, um, COVID hit and so forth. But uh, my son's Andrew Andrew Maloney, the guy that uh, represents my son. <coughs> Um, he reached out just because he's got enough contacts and he, he knows a lot of people around my pro my program or St. Mary's and he knows some guys, um, in town and so forth, but he good collection of people that know me and he had them all write, um, their, a story, you know, but for my retirement and it was, uh, it is means so much to me. Like the stories were not uh added in you know the, yeah. the, the free speech everything quoting me and there's probably 30 of them and i couldn't get through it without busting a tear and i was going to say this probably four of the guys that i blocked horns with the most in my program in their time here um since we reached out and are so close and everything that Everything that they didn't trust about me or didn't believe or whatever that I said now is so much the gospel to them because I went through the same. And, you know, I thought you were just joking, saying, oh, I'm like you. You and I are the same. You know, I mean, I, about a couple of kids, you know, having a hard time. You mean a high draft choice and not maybe, maybe getting everything you wanted out of yourself in your career. And I said, you know, it's, it's, it's that steady pull on the rope that you're going to be happy someday going to, to work every day, making a good living and having a family is going to mean so much more to you than this. But they don't think that at that age, now that they're out, they're feeling good about themselves. They realize that hockey wasn't everything. And at that point in their life, they were basically, you know, I, I, I've lost uh, friends of mine. that have had kids that, you know, have taken their own lives because of, issues and to say that hockey issues aren't real they are and i and i think that that's these are there's a lot of emotion in these in these kids today and and a lot of things that they they don't talk about that they might be hiding as a coach and that kind of became apparent to me during my coaching career and i i'm significantly more sensitive to it now and to put a bow on your coaching career i have to ask did trevor steinberg ever have to utilize a live chicken to inspire his troops no, I didn't have the that that actually was a, a nonviolent way. Like I I have literally, I'm not proud of this. I mean, the guys broken the stereos in the rooms, TVs. Like, yeah, I mean, there's I I mean, and I say this not, I'm not proud of it at all. I mean, I've cracked my hand on doors. Like it's some of the shit you just look back now, it's laughable. Yeah but I just didn't have any place to vent the anger that I was going through. And I, you know, some of the things you say that you can't say, you know, when I say it, I had, I was able to recruit my own players. So usually a lot of these players at least had a little bit of me in them. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of this at times was humorous, but I'm sure a lot of times it really wasn't. I mean, I was not the easiest guy to play for, but 
I am confident to say that I know that 90% of the guys I believe now, and if there is 10%, I would still try to reach out to them, know that no matter how their envelope was delivered and the envelope they wanted or not, that I was, I meant good things. And I truly did. But I can, in hindsight, I can look back and go, how the hell can a guy think I was being a good guy by saying that to him? But it's just your way of being hard on them and hoping they'll change, right? And I did yep. the same thing with my own kid, and I've learned since and been able to adjust the way I want and so forth, or at least attempt to anyways, or at least it's on your mind. Yep. Uh, so how did the gig with Seattle come about? Uh, you're an amateur scout for them. I'm guessing, what do you scout, the uh, Quebec League? Yeah, yeah. I uh, was having the summer of my life, COVID, on the water. I was loving life, and, you know, but my buddy uh, that I coached, Mike Dawson, uh, was with Carolina at that point because he's rela- he's related to and he was a scout with Carolina and under Ron Francis. And <clears throat> he'd gone over to Seattle and he phoned me up one day and he said, look, we're in a bit of a bind. We don't have anybody to watch inside the bubble, maritime bubble. A couple guys, I've, I've thrown the name in the hat with a couple guys with Ron, but I wanted to know if you did. And I said, Immediately, I said yes, mm-hmm. and that was just to start out as you know maybe you know watching the home games here and just as teams come in, just jot down what I get and um, so I took the job. Ron was really good about it, but it, it wasn't enough. <laughs> I, I I wanted more. Mike Dawson, you know he he loves it, and that's why I could see his passion. So he kind of said to Ron, "You can't just tell this guy to do this. This kid wants to." travel man he wants to get going so he gave me the maritimes and uh, as of this year we've they've extended and granted me the opportunity to go into the other division and kind of cover the whole league now so i love it i'm meeting a whole bunch of new guys in the industry uh they're all good guys i love the meetings i get nervous of them because these other guys are a little bit more polished but i i'm part of something now um I feel good about it. I feel good watching hockey and, you know, and I won't lie. It's, you know, it's, it's at least when you're sitting there walking the dog at noon someday and some guy says, Oh yeah, you're retired. I can say, no, no, I still got a job. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I do like it. And, you know, it's a family. Like the other day we had, you know, we had a little health scare with my, with uh, my wife and, you know, so many people there called and, and, and were so, concerned i just I, I just felt like i was back in a family again you know what i mean and in, yeah. and in a family that's not yours you know what i mean but you still felt like you're there's some care there and you have some some people beside you is she doing okay she's doing okay she actually just does uh they found a lump um and they're going to take it out december 20th and you know snip the lymph nodes we're very positive it's the friendliest cancer mm-hmm. They say the doctors were overwhelming, um, and all it was, they had to miss a meeting and tell them, but, you know, some of the outpouring there was just phenomenal, like, you know, Botterill phoned me, you know, uh, the assistant GM out of nowhere yesterday, and just, yeah, it just, it feels pretty special to be with that, because, you know, you, when you're here, you're, you know, if you've ever played hockey, you know you're never alone, but when you're off the team, even if you have your loved ones around, you still don't feel that, you don't there's that strength in numbers and and again the hockey i still say that they're the best group in general because they they care and they've proved it well 
uh, I've never had the pleasure of meeting Mrs. Steinberg, but uh, please tell her there's a ham and egger on Long Island that's uh, rooting for her and uh, hoping that everything turns out well. It will, man. We know it will, and uh, like I say, I'll pass that on. But yeah, we're we're pretty excited about this chapter of our life, and uh, and and don't get me wrong, she's happy I got this job too. <laughs> Very happy. Well, speaking of next chapters in this chapter, uh, 2019, uh, Colorado Avalanche. Um, they dipped into the hockey pool well twice. First round pick, uh, a guy that you battled in the AHL, not not physically, but you played against, Sean Byram. Uh, and people that listened to my previous show, Coliseum Chronicles, you know, Sean was a guest. Uh, Sean's son, Bowen, goes in the first round to Colorado. And then in the third round, uh, Matthew Steinberg uh, gets picked uh, by Colorado. So they went the bloodline route in the first and the third round. Uh, can you talk about uh, the whole process? Uh, what you know, being the dad, you went through it as a as a player, as uh, personally at yourself, and now you're you're seeing, uh, and it's got to be a universe different than it was when you when you were being drafted. But you're seeing it happen to your son. How exciting was that for you? I, I really couldn't be prouder of him. He a uh, very very undersized young kid, very throwback tough little bastard, uh, dirty at times, quite skilled, good hockey head when he was a kid, but just tiny. I mean, he was a below guy's shoulders, um, played for the under 14, probably wasn't deserving, but, you know, because of his effort on both sides of the puck and his toughness, he got the wear of the sea. Um, as he got to be 15, he had a, he, he developed osteomyelitis in his, uh, in his shoulder, it's a bone infection, which is very serious. Um, to took the year off, and then he, he came back and started the first part of the season, and then it got into his hip, which is what they call almost reportable, meaning that you know, World Medical would usually pick up on this because it's so unique. Anyways, we we got through all that, and he was still undersized and um, small. He still wanted to play hockey. Good little player, but he'd gone through a lot, and he hadn't grown so. They were trying to St. Andrews Uni College in Toronto were trying to get uh, uh, the Baron boy to go. Um, uh, they had the Morgan Baron. They wanted Justin Baron. So Morgan Baron went on, got drafted, and went on to Cornell. Um, and his younger brother ended up playing for the Mooseheads. But they recruited both of them at the same time. And I'm sure they had Matt there just to bring Justin Justin decided not to. A few guys left St. Andrews, and David Manning phoned up and said, you know, we really want him, and they they helped us out a little bit because, you know, we weren't, at that point, generating a ton of money. Um, so he went there, and it's almost like the second he showed up on camp, at camp, um, he just started growing. And all of a sudden, somebody said, hey, there are kids on the NHL watch. I'm like, just like, get out of here, you know what I mean? Well, he just leaps and bounds and I uh, did well in school like you know what I mean I, it's just I've been so proud of him you know and he had a decision to major junior a he wanted college he common sense told me he was going to grow and then for him to pick uh, an Ivy League just blew me away because you know you know I had every indication he was going to just take any scholarship for the best team and go and <clears throat> he made a great decision there he went to he went there. He had a high ankle sprain, broke his hand his first year. I was really worried about him. And I will say this. I think it's important. I had a friend of mine that had his son take his life just here in my own area. 
and that was a turning point for me because I actually phoned Matt up and I said, I don't, I don't give a shit if you play hockey. I don't give a shit if you will come home. I said, but you got to, I knew he was having a tough time in his first year because he was hurt and, and in school. And uh, I got said, look, I don't give a shit if you want to come home here. And I literally, I mean, I don't care if you come here and smoke dope in the basement, son. I just, I cannot. Yeah. I, I, I just was a mess over yeah. my friends. And since that point, I think is a really changing point. And instead of phoning and kind of going, how many points you get, how many this, it was more, how's school going? Keep going. I'm proud of you. You know, that, that, that really changed me. And I needed it. I needed it bad. I'm not at the expense of uh, my buddy's son. Um, but it really was a turning point. And I think my relationship with Matt's been significantly better and he's done nothing but continue to, Tell me he's failing, but then get good marks. He's in his last year. He's graduating. They phoned and offered him a contract last year. I was not going to stand in his way, even though a year or two later I would have said, no, you're staying, or you know, tried to bully him into that. I didn't. He stayed. Um, he's wearing a letter there right now. And just, I guess if you take it the right way, I don't give a shit if he plays in the NHL. To say that, you know I'm lying, but, man, he's, he's going to graduate from Cornell. Um, I couldn't be prouder of him, and if he ends up playing professional hockey, which I think he will, I believe in him. Um, he's a he's a good – He I'd want him on my team. I, I'm, I'm so proud of him in that sense. He's not overly skilled. He's not overly anything, but he shows up every single game. He plays his ass off. He's got an edge. Uh, um so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of him. Yeah. I can honestly say that I really feel good about all the decisions he's made and he's made them on his own. Oh, you got the uh, proud dad going, you got the Cornell cap on here. So, uh, so yeah, it's pretty obvious yeah. how, how proud you are now. Um, he's still Colorado property. Cause I think, it, oh, yeah, it, yeah. He's got two to, years. Does he have to sign? Uh, he has sign? to sign this year. Okay. Um, has to sign this year if, uh, with them or, you know, they, they did offer him. I, you know, it's, it's, we're not taking anything for granted, but right. you know, like I said is to him and, you know, invest in yourself, man. And the, the best investment you can make in yourself is yourself in, inside and that's your school and your, your potential. And then, you know, if you're going to, you're going to be only bigger and stronger. So if, unless something happens that's unforeseeable, then, you know, your hockey career will should still be in front of you. And he still has to be offered a contract. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I believe in him and I know someone's going to, if Colorado don't, which I still think they will, I, I think somebody's going to find him because he's got, he's got too much jam and too much pride, I think, to, to, for anybody to give up on him right now. And just, just for my own clarification now, when, when, the, when his university season, when Cornell season is over, if he does sign with Colorado, he could play in the American League. I mean, he could play in Colorado, but that's a pretty tough lineup to break. But he could play uh, for Colorado once his season's over if he signs a deal, right? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he could go and, you know, that's a, as I say that, everybody's brought that up. And I go, yeah, he goes to every class now. And I don't think he's, you know, U.S. academical, whatever, right? Yeah. So, you know, I'm worried. I just want him to pass his school. And yeah. if he, he can manage that and and get the opportunity to sign and go on, that's great. It, 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 it's it's on him now. It's yeah. all. He's, he's, he's instilled in me enough confidence that 
I don't need to step in. And I feel like he, he knows what he wants. And I mean, listen, there, there, whether or not hockey works out that the Cornell degree uh, has, holds a lot of weight uh, in the, uh, in the real world, as far as uh, future employment. So, uh, so I'm sure whatever he ends up doing, he'll be successful. The, yeah, I mean, the camaraderie between those guys and the alumni and his teammates is, oh, I mean, it, it's over the top and you know what it's like. I mean, yeah. you've had guys that have gone to university and graduated, gone on to play pro, and they're they're so tight with the kids that they went to school with. Because, you know, they're not they're not they're not eating like kings, man. They're eating craft dinner there. <laughs> they're, they're they're drinking bush beer. They're drinking the cheapest. You know, they're doing all those things, and yet yeah. they're they work so hard. I mean, especially that. You know, I'm impressed with the coaching staff there, the school, and every every aspect of it. They just push and get so much out of everybody. So, pretty proud dad. Yeah. Well, I, I love that we can end on on that note. Uh, talk about your boy there, uh, and uh, I wish him nothing but the best. And uh, hopefully, I'll I'll get to see him at a rink soon. Um, I know we've spoken for hours. I really want to thank you for the amount of time that you've given me. Um, uh, so my my last question is always the same to everybody: is is there anything about your career that uh, I forgot to ask, or anything that uh, that you'd like to say that I didn't ask you about? No, I probably feel like I said too much almost, but, you know, uh, uh, like I go back to my players now and just say the road is sometimes, you know, all you think of it is the adversity you went through. It, You know, when you finally get to a destination or a point, a rest point in your life, you, you, um, I couldn't be happier for the people I met. Uh, there's coaches that I can look back and find every reason to hate, but I don't. I, I, they all they all did something positive for me. They all knocked me back into line. And, you know, at the point I never thought I needed that, but I did. I was as probably as big a pain in the ass to a lot of coaches as anybody could be. Um, but I can honestly say kind of everything that everything on the journey has ended up to be a teaching point and a point that's made me uh, have my eyes a little bit wide, more wide open right now. Uh, well, with that, uh, again, I want to thank you for your time. This has been really amazing for me. I, I'm so happy to have you as the first guest on the new show. Uh, it means the world to me. And um, I just want to say thank you again. And uh, good luck with Matthew. Good luck, Mrs. Steinberg. And, and uh, good luck to everything uh, for your whole family, man. I want to appreciate it. And, Joe, I hope we talk lots because, like I say, just – Re, you know, connecting and getting to know you has been awesome. It's reconnected me with some of my buddies. And and I'll be honest, when you go back, I mean, a lot of times when you think about your hockey career over the past, you think of all the bad things, and you brought in some of the some of the funny things and enjoyable things. So I, I certainly thank you for it. And I can't say thanks enough to the guys that were, were able to bullshit and say good things about me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, you're going to have the opportunity to do the same because uh, I got a few guys coming up that you played with. So uh, so I'll be reaching out to you for uh, for some funny stories about them. But with that, I will let you go. Thank you for the time and have a great day. Thanks, Joe. All right. Awesome. Take care. Thank Stop. you very much. You got it. Bye now.